Hey everybody, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Today I am presenting to you part two of the listener requested movie Titanic. Of course, this movie was requested to me by the birthday girl, Nicole. Happy birthday again, Nicole. Hope you're enjoying your day. And also, I hope you enjoy this review, as all of my listeners enjoy this review. So, let's take stock of what happened at the end of part one. Jack and Rose shared their first kiss. We get back to elderly Rose in 97 in present day. And she is telling her granddaughter, Brock, Bobby, Lewis, and the rest of the unnamed um, crew on this barge here, or ship, that that point, that was the last time that Titanic saw daylight. And of course, I believe I forgot to mention, Titanic had been getting iceberg warnings, and they are just ignoring them. Like, whatever, it's an iceberg, who cares? Our ship's unsinkable, so we can just maneuver around them. Uh-huh. Yeah, like it's that easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was the last time Titanic ever saw daylight. So we're up to dust the night of the sinking. <laughs> Six hours to go. Incredible. There's Smith, and he's standing there, and he's got the iceberg warning in his fucking hand. Excuse me, his hand. And he's ordering more speed. 26 years of experience working against him. He figures anything big enough to sink the ship, they're gonna see in time to turn. But the ship's too big with too small a rudder. It doesn't corner worth a damn. Everything he knows is wrong. So, is this the next day, or did Lewis have to get a, a new shirt? Um, because when Ro- Elderly Rose comes onto the ship there, he is wearing one of those 90s yellow smiley face shirts. But this one's like, looks like someone like took a gun to its head and there's a big old, you know, hole in his, the top of his head and just, you know, rivets of blood just dripping down the smiley face. And now he's wearing what looks like um, a white shirt with the American flag saying, like, USA underneath it. So, I'm wondering, is this, like, the next day? I mean, most likely these people are all staying on the ship while they're doing this whole expedition. And he just had to go change his shirt for whatever reason. Maybe he, like, spilled some, like, ketchup on it. Or he ate a chili dog. Or... Taco Bell or something happened. I don't know. Anyway, um, Brock is talking about how the captain of the ship has gotten repeated iceberg warnings through um, the, the the telegram service or whatever. And he's just, like I said, he's ignoring them. He's like, fuck it. I don't care. We're going to continue if we... If, and Brock's even like, yeah. 26 years of experience working against him, what exactly that means. But he thinks, oh, if we see the iceberg, we'll be able to turn in time. It's a huge fucking ship! It's a huge damn ship! You think you're going to be able to turn? Oh, there's an iceberg like 10 feet in front of us. I'm sure we can turn. Because if you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg like just above like water level... You don't know how big that fucking iceberg is underneath. It could be huge. It could be the size of the Titanic. 
And it's like, whatever, whatever, I don't care. We got to get to New York a day early to make the papers because Mr. Ismay is really chomping at the bit. We got to get there a day early. We got to make headlines. Yeah, they're going to make headlines all right, just not in the way they think. Yeah, and Brock's even saying, like, the rudder doesn't corner worth a damn. Like, if you see something, you're not going to be able to maneuver a ship out of the way of it in time. You're just not. So, Elderly Rose, of course, is kind of looking off in the distance, looking at the ship, and we get a... Looks like Jack and Rose are going to hang out while... Who knows where her mother is? Don't really care. Um, Cal's most likely in the smoking room or, you know, sucking down some brandy along with a cigar, talking about how great he is. You know, like they do. I've been making out at the front of the ship this whole time. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, she comes in and says this is the sitting room. And she, uh,. Well, right away, he notices her drawing. Well, not her drawing. She didn't draw those paint. She didn't paint those pictures. But he recognizes Monet and, like, the color that he uses. So they both have an appreciation for art. She likes to collect art. He likes to create art. It's, it's great. They both have art in common. And Rose has pretty much already got it in her mind. It's like, we already shared our first kiss. Now I want him to draw me like one of his French girls, you know, with no clothes on. And she's all like, um, will this light do? And he's like, what? Because he, he's distracted by, um, the, the sitting room and all of its features. And she's like, don't artists need good light? Of course, he, like, puts on some fake French accent, like, that is true, but I'm not so used to working in such horrible conditions. Yeah, that's a really crappy uh, accent myself. <laughs> I wasn't trying, I swear. <laughs> and that's when he recognizes Monet. And Rose is like, oh, do you know his work? And Jack's like, yeah, of course I do. Like, I'm an artist. And the picture they're both looking at, I don't know which one it is, but it's like he painted a picture of, like, a lily pond with, like, because Jack's pointing out the use of color with, like, the pond water and then the lily leaves with the little flowers and stuff like that. And it's just, I, I like how they're, they're bonding over a shared interest. So now she's going to show him this, as she says, it's hideous. This, you know, Cal wants to bring this wherever he goes. That's why we have the safe here. So, Jack's like, oh, should we be expecting him anytime soon? And Rose was like, oh, well, as long as the cigars and brandy hold out, we should be fine. Of course, she shows him the necklace and she says, I want you to draw me wearing this. And he's like, okay. But she surprises him when she says, only this. And he kind of looks at her surprised, like, what? And she says, I don't want another picture of me looking like a porcelain doll. She gives him 10, cent, 10 cents. She's a paying customer. She's like, I expect to get what I want. So she goes to change. She comes out in a robe. And there's trivia that says, I guess, to kind of break the nervous tension here. 
uh, Kate Winslet opens her robe and kind of exposes, you know, her naked form, her naked self to uh, Leo just to kind of, like, break the ice. Like, okay, you're going to be seeing me naked, so let's just get it out of the way now, pretty much. And she even says before she um, changes into a robe and nothing underneath, she says that she wants him to draw her like one of his French girls wearing this, wearing only this, the necklace. What is it, a sapphire? A diamond. A very rare diamond. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. Mm. Wearing this. All right. Wearing only this. thing I need is another picture of me looking like a porcelain doll. As a paying customer, I expect to get what I want. Put your arm back the way it was. Right. Put that other arm up. That hand right by your face there. Right. Now, head down. Eyes to me. Keep them on me. And try to stay still. Blushing, Mr. Big Artiste. I can't imagine Monsieur Monet blushing. He does landscapes. <laughs> Just relax your face. Sorry. No laughing. It's gonna be 
My heart was pounding the whole time. It was the most erotic moment of my life. <laughs> I was like, whoa! Up until then, at least. So what happened next? Oh, yeah. You mean, did we do it? <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, Mr. Bodine. Jack was very professional. Will you put this back in the safe for me? Mm-hmm. So she, of course, disrobes, and he's like over there on the bed. I mean, couch. <laughs> he's so flustered, and it's like, sure, he's painted naked French ladies before, but this is someone he's actually interested in romantically so of course it's gonna be a little like <laughs> and it's funny how um after she gets all set up and she's posing and how she's kind of calling him out like oh i believe you are blushing mr big artiste and of course she <laughs> um she also mentions you know i don't imagine that uh, mr monet blushes and jack's like yeah, he paints landscapes, not naked ladies. <laughs> and of course, he's like, okay, you gotta stay still, and no laughing. And I'm just like, that would be so hard, because she's got her arm, like, kind of up above her head. And granted, she is, you know, reclining back on um, a couch or a love seat. And it's just like, and, and just think about it. It's like, you have to keep that same expression. You can't move any part of your body. You just lay there. But just imagine that arm getting, like, starting to cramp and everything. And, of course, you definitely can't start laughing. Because it's like, Ugh. And she's telling the story. I like the camera work where we get a close-up of her face. And then it goes back to present-day elderly Rose. And I just like how young Rose morphs into old Rose and everything, just with the close-up of the eye and everything. And of course, she says how that was the most erotic moment of my life. We cut to everyone just, like, on the edge of their seat, so interested. And of course, Louis is like, so then what happened? And she's like, do you mean, did we do it? And everyone's like, <laughs> Like, oh yeah, it's getting to the good part. So she's like, I hate to disappoint you, Mr. Bodine, but Jack was a professional. As, of course, he's finished the picture. He hands over his leather binder and he goes to like give it to her, but he's still holding on to it as she leans down to kiss him. He starts kind of pulling it away. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, she puts the necklace back into its uh, little uh, 
case and all that good stuff. He puts it back in the safe. So now, of course, we got to go to the cigar and brandy room where Cal is wondering where Rose is. And he's like, okay, the, like, the guy's name is Lovejoy. <laughs> like Reverend Lovejoy. <laughs> no, not like Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons. but And he's like, oh my gosh, it's a... A ship. There's only so many places she could be. It's like, it's a large fucking ship. And the fact that he's not even thinking of the obvious. Unless, maybe Lovejoy already went there and they weren't there. So he kind of ruled that out. Okay, okay, they're not anywhere in the rooms. So, yeah. And Cal's like, find her. Like, he knows she most likely is with Jack. So then, of course, they proceed um, with the knock on the door from Lovejoy calling for Rose. Like, are you there? And they slip out the back, and it's kind of a... So it's pretty much a game of cat and mouse here, as they're trying to escape um, Lovejoy from finding them. They're going down to the engine room, where you probably don't want just regular people just going down there because it's dangerous, you get hurt. So they end up with where all the storage is, namely that car that we saw being lifted onto the Titanic. And they're going to have a little fun with that inside the car. They're going to have a little fun in the car. And by fun, I mean sexy times. Real quick, um, going back to the chase here, I love how they get on the elevator, and when they're going down, Rose, like, flicks him off uh, to love joy, like, flips him the middle finger, like, fuck you! I figure, oh, this is tight. this scene is titled Two Souls United, and he's checking out the car, and she's, like, standing there, like, you gonna open the door for me to get inside and of course he does he pretends he's like a chauffeur and he gets behind the wheel and i'm like may as well since this we know this car ain't gonna be driving anywhere anytime soon in fact it'll be a total loss it's gonna go down with the ship it may as well have sexy times in the back seat Where to, miss? To the stars. Already sweaty just from going to the
So Jack gets up into the seat, honks a horn. He's like, where to, miss? And of course, she puts down the glass divider. She's inside the cab. And she um, says, to the stars. And she, like, grabs him by his arms and, like, pulls him back into the cab. And of course... Clearly, this is Rose's first time, but I don't know. I don't think Jack's a virgin. I honestly think that he has had sex before. Or, I don't know, maybe he is a virgin. Who knows? So, of course, we kind of know what he's meaning when he asks her, because they're kind of, like, touching hands, and he's asking her if she's nervous, like, about having sex, because you know that that's what this is leading to. And she says no, she kisses each one of his fingers on his hand and tells Jack to put his hands on her. He does. They kiss. And then, of course, we got to dip back out of the scene and talk about how um, they don't have the binoculars to kind of see. And I guess there's also fog, which is also going to be another problem to see icebergs. Um, there's two guys in the watchtower that... Um, one of them saying, you know, I can smell ice, and the other guy, the other guy in the watchtower is like calling bullshit on that. Like, no, you can't smell ice. He's like, no, seriously, I can smell it. Of course, the whole thing about the binoculars being missing since Southampton, so they've been missing for a while. So there's another thing, and, and not to mention, it's also dark outside. So it's not like these. It's not like these. Icebergs are painted neon green where you can see them and they like glow in the dark. They're white. They're gonna like not stand out against unless you're like hitting a spotlight on them, which I don't know. So now we get back inside the cab. You see the windows are fogged up. Of course they are. You see a hand smack the glass and slide down. There's always been debate like whose hand is it? Is it Jack's? Is it Rose's? I say it's Rose's because she 100% is a virgin. She's never had sex before. And probably at that minute, he probably took her virginity. And that's what the, uh, yeah, the hammer's like. Or maybe, I honestly, yeah, I think it's her hand. Because she is in good position. She's lying back. Her hand could hit that window. Jack's hand wouldn't be able to because he's on top of her. And just, unless, I mean, there's always been debate. You could even look it up on the internet. Whose hand was that in the window? It was Rose's. I mean, come on. You really think Jack came and then at that moment he slammed the hand up on the window and you just see it slide back down. I think it's Rose's. She, of course, being it's her first time, she probably wonders, you know, like, is it his first time? Because he's trembling. It's like, well, he just came and he's been... You know, so, yeah. He's fine, Rose, don't worry. Give him a few minutes, he'll be up for round two. <laughs> of course, they know they can't stay in there too long because they got to get out of there because they don't want to be spotted. And they zip out onto the deck. They're making out. We see the two guys in the watchtower kind of watching them. So they're distracted. Like, oh my gosh, look at this. Oh, what a great way to keep warm. And of course, the other guy's like, well, if that's the only way to keep warm, I think I'll keep my distance from you. And of course, this is where Rose says, when the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. 
like I thought you already did. <laughs> uh, and of course, where the iceberg hits, because those two guys are distracted. They're they see it like, oh my gosh, it's an iceberg! And they start ringing that bell, alerting everybody. It's like we're gonna hit it, we're gonna hit it. <laughs> of course, before we get to the whole iceberg and Rose telling Jack, I'm gonna get off with you when we when the ship docks. Um, we go back to the room. Lovejoy's there with Cal. He pulls out the naked portrait of Rose, along with a note that says, Darling, now you can keep us both locked in your safe, Rose. That's some amazing cursive writing. The only thing I do for cursive is my signature. That's it. That was like I see someone, like, if they've written in cursive, like, Crap! gonna take me a bit to get there. I mean, most of the time I can read cursive, but then sometimes it's like, oh, why? Cursive just prints. <laughs> those guys' faces. Did you see those? When the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. I know. It doesn't make any sense. That's why I trusted. Oh, yes. Here, look at this. Look at that, would you? Ain't a bit warm in the wheel. Well, if that's what it takes for us to get warm, I'd rather not if it's always take me here, alright? <laughs> They see the iceberg, like, shit! And he starts ringing that bell and get someone on the, on the phone, like, hey, there's an iceberg right ahead. And the guy's like, all right, great. Now, what we gotta, they're, they're trying their damn, they're trying to get a hold of everybody, like, up here, okay, start turning it, uh, you down there. St-. He even said something about reverse, like, they're shutting, like, trying to shut off everything so that way it'll slow the ship down. They're, like, maybe 50 feet away from this iceberg. It's like, that's not enough time. And I've heard that, um, supposedly there've been theories if they'd have hit it right on, they'd have just hit it. Just just go and, like, hit, like, nose to iceberg. They would have been fine. But the fact that they turned, they didn't know how large the iceberg was because only part of it was showing up above the water level. It was fucking huge, and in doing so, and trying to turn, thinking, oh, we're going to miss it, then I guess the the iceberg was, like, kind of hitting along the sides of it, which, of course, is going to, like, really fuck up the ship. Point where pipes are bursting, water's being let in, and it's like, damn, oh, this is not good. Real, real quick, the whole, I'm going to get off with you when um, we dock, and of course, um, Jack's like, really? 
Well, he, he's just like, oh, this is crazy. She's like, I know, it's crazy, but that's why I trust it. It's like, she's not playing by the rules. It's like, no. I'm not. I'm doing this. I'm choosing. I'm choosing me for once. I'm choosing what I want. And I'm going in the direction that I want to go with my life. Like, the hell with everything else. The wedding, it's not going to happen. Cal, it's not going to happen. My mother, I'm sure she'll get over it. But, um, no, I need to do this for me. She, Jack lit that fire inside of her. Like, he, like, helped it, like, grow and everything. And she's like, no, I, like, they need to be together. They need to be together. Her approach, oh, this thing is fucking huge! Just above level, it's huge! It's, like, taller, like, 50 feet taller than the ship's bow. And the guy at the head of it is like, turn, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. And of course they can't because <laughs> it's a big giant fucking ship. <laughs> it's not like turning a car wheel to get your car to turn all the way to the left or anything. It doesn't work like that. And we do get a view underwater of it hitting the iceberg on the side of it. Rose and Jack have been kissing this whole time through the iceberg right ahead! Because they're just below the guy that's screaming into the phone. He can't, they can't, they're too in love, they're too distracted by each other that they can't hear what's going on. They're like, what? What? What's that shaking sound? What? Oh my gosh, what's going on? You're seeing different areas of the ship. Like, Fabrizio is asleep in his bunk, and he's gotten, he's been woken up by the rattling. We see the, the chandelier rattling. We see Mr. Andrews at his desk, and he's looking up, wondering what's going on. It's probably just as well that Jack and Rose got out of that car when they did, because the two guys that were looking for him, they just got blasted in the face with cold-ass Atlantic April. 1912 water. Like, it knocked them both off their feet. Probably they're drowning down there. I don't know. But it's a good thing that Jack and Rose got out of there when they did. Whew. Of course, where Jack and Rose are, he's kind of pulling her back, like, get back, get back, get back. Because they're seeing the ships being hit by the iceberg on the side of them. And it's like cutting off little ice shards off of the iceberg. Like, let's not get hit by the ice. And of course, eventually, it's like, oh, it's not. People are thinking, oh, well, that's it. Okay, that's not so big a deal. And kids are, like, playing soccer on the deck with the ice. Treating it like it's a soccer ball. You can see down where they're, like, putting coal into those furnace things. <laughs> see, I don't know a damn thing about ships. I know nothing about ships. <laughs> and um, even them, the water is coming in and like knocking them off their feet. And Rose is like, we need to warn Mother and Cal. You really don't. You don't owe them shit. You don't need to warn them. They'll figure it out themselves. Because you going back up there is just going to create a big problem. It looks like everyone's trying to get out of the engine room while that water's coming in. And the, the doors are... See, we see um, watertight door indicator. When lights are illuminated, watertight doors are... And we see cargo. We see um, electric engines, turbine engines are not lit. Reciprocating in number one are lit. And then number two, and maybe this number three, 
are not lit, and then these two are whatever they are, and then there's that one. What is that? Hold on a second. I want to see what that says. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, reciprocating engine room, number one boiler room, number two boiler room are lit. Number three is not lit. Number four and five are lit. And it says, when lights are illuminated, watertight doors are closed. Okay. They're all lit now. Was that supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing? If they're closed, wouldn't that keep the water contained? That's coming in from where um, the iceberg kind of cut into the side of the boat? We see now the ship is kind of passing the iceberg. And we see the guys in the watchtower like, Oh, thank goodness. We really dodged a big one. Because they don't know of the damage that happened below water level. So, yeah, the guy's the guy was like, I could smell ice. Is like, wow, that was bloody, that was pretty close, huh? And then the guy's like, the other dude is like, smell ice, Kenya. Bleeding Christ. Really? Dude, you're full of shit. This is the last time in the, I'm in this watchtower with your ass. Seriously. You're worthless. The captain finally, I don't know where he's been or what he's been doing the whole time, having his tea with his lemon slice. He comes up and he's like, what's going on? And, of course... The, one of the captain people, below the captain, whoever's below the captain, I don't know who, this dude here, I think he commits suicide later, um, this guy is like, oh, it's, it's a, it's an iceberg, captain, like, we hit it, we tried to, like, not hit it, but unfortunately, it did hit, so, there is that, but I think we're out of harm's way. Yeah, basically they want like let's stop the ship entirely we don't want it moving anymore to, and he says something about a carpenter who's on board so i'm guessing maybe because he looks at like the ice shards chunks of ice that are on the deck like let's get the carpenter person whatever needs to be repaired that needs to be repaired let's get that taken care of of course we go back to fabrizio um, he jumps out of the bunk and immediately lands in, like, what, a couple feet of water? Like, the hell? I was sleeping and all of a sudden there's fucking water in my room. Oh, he turns on the light. Actually, no, it's not, like, two feet of water. It's more like maybe a foot or less. It's enough to cover one person's foot. They go out into the hallway, which is also covered in water. Like, you are just, your feet are covered in water. Like, let's get it all out of here. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Granted, they're in third class. So, <laughs> yeah. So, we're probably going up to first class. We got one lady who's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And it's like, oh, nothing, nothing. Hit an iceberg. Don't worry. Just, you go back to bed. It, it's being taken care of. Like, okay. <laughs> oh, she's like, I felt a shudder. Should I worry? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And we threw a shutter blade is all. Don't worry. That's the shudder you felt. Like, do you need anything? She's like, no, that's fine. As we see Mr. Andrews rush past with, like, a bunch of blueprints. Oh, they did have rats on the ship. Great. <laughs> like, let's follow the rats. They got the right idea. They're getting out of here. Jumping ship, if you will. Mr. Ismay. <laughs> yeah, he's in his robe and his slippers because he's in first class. Oh. <sighs> My goodness. Cal comes out into the hallway. It's like, and the guy's like, don't worry, there's no emergency. He's like, yes, there is. I've been robbed. Get the master at arms. It's like, um, we got other things going on. You being robbed is like the bottom of the list. We don't care. If you got a problem, you can file it with the white star line later on once we dock. But, um, 
I got other stuff going on. Oh, don't call him a moron. I say throw Cal overboard. Just throw him. Throw him to the sharks. He'll get his. We know he gets his in the end. And that's very well deserved. Oh, see, the kids are playing soccer with that big old ice chunk. Guessing they gotta find a way to get that water out of the ship. Like, drain it or something like that. And while Rose and Jack are kind of going up the stairway, we see Mr. Andrews and the captain, I don't know his name, we'll just call him the captain, second-in-command captain and some other dude, who's also, like, the third captain. Um, they're basically just talking about what needs to be done, if it, like, how much water is actually in there, which I think they said something like eight feet or whatever. And Jack, of course, is overhearing this, like, oh, shit, this is going to be not good, because we're on a ship, and where the hell are we going to go? We're in the middle of the damn Atlantic. The only way we're going is either into the water or in one of the, um, or rowboats, which there aren't many of them. <sighs> so, yeah, this is where Ro when Jack's like, oh, this is bad. And Rose is like, we need to tell the mother and cow, you don't! No! You go back there, shit's gonna get not good. I mean, it's already not good with the iceberg and shit, but you don't know what you're fucking walking into. You're basically walking into a trap. We got Cal sitting on the couch, smoking a cig. We got Ruth just fucking pacing the floor in her silk robe. We got somebody who's, like, the master of arms, I'm guessing, is going through portraits. Because Jack's like, my drawings are in your safe. Because, you know, he didn't just have hers in that leather binder. He had, like, all the other ones. So, Jack and Rose are walking down the hallway. We see Lovejoy, and he slips a... I'm guessing... Yeah, he's... Oh, my shit! It's a fucking setup, guys! It's a fu... We know this. It's a setup. Lovejoy plants the heart of the ocean, diamond, whatever, into his pocket. Because he says, report a robbery. I want the whole room photographed. Yeah, he's basically going to set him up. Something serious has happened. Yes, it has. Indeed. Two things dear to me have disappeared this evening. Now that one is back, I have a pretty good idea where to find the other. Search him. Take your coat off, son. Now what? I'm on. Cal, what are you doing? We're in the middle of an emergency. What's going on? Is this it? This is horseshit. Don't you believe it, Rose? Don't. He couldn't have. Of course he could. It's easy enough for a professional. Come on. But I was with him the whole time. This is absurd. You did it while you're putting your clothes back on, dear. Real slick cow rose, they put it in my pocket. Shut up. It isn't even your pocket, is it, son? <coughs> Property of A.L. Ryerson. That was reported stolen today. No, I just borrowed it. I was going to return it. Oh, an honest thief. We have an honest thief here. Oh, fuck you, Cal. You do this, Rose. You know it. Don't you believe them, Rose? You know it. You know on, I didn't son, do let's it. Go. Rose, Come on, let's you know go. I didn't do Rose, it, Rose. Rose. Come on, that's a good lot. Come on, son, that's a good lot. Come on. You know I didn't do it. You know me. Most unfortunate, Captain. So yeah, of course they planted it on there, and of course Jack's still wearing that jacket that he took off that um, recliner chair. He should have just given that back. 
because now it's going to make him look even more guilty when they pull out the heart of the ocean diamond necklace. And she's like, no, no, I was with him the whole time. And Cal, of course, like, remember he did it. He took it while you were putting your clothes back on. You ever think of that? And the look that she kind of gives him, like, she's unsure. It's like, come on. And he's like, Rose, you know me. This is horse shit. They fucking put it in my pocket. Of course, he's been handcuffed. And they take him away. Now, of course, we got to go to the blueprints. They're looking at the ship and how much water the, the ship can actually take in before it starts to sink or go under. Like, how much... Because I guess, didn't they... When Lewis was going through, like, that little CGI presentation with Elderly Rose, he's saying at one point, like, the hull, like, was filling up with water, and at some point... It became too much, and it, like, cracked the ship in half, and that part sank down. So I'm wondering if that's what they're saying, like, how much water the hull can take before it's going to snap in two. Of course we get a, oh, the ship can't sink! And Mr. Andrews is like, uh, she's made of metal, sir. I assure you she can sink. Did you say metal or iron? And fucking Ismay's all like, oh, when can we get underway? It's like, dude... We're taking in fucking water from the sea. It's being sucked into the f- bottom of the, the the fucking ship here. You and your headlines and your fucking day early New York arrival, that is 100% off the table right now. We're not even focused on that ship. Right now, what we're focused on is trying to get our asses taken care of so we don't all, like, die on this ship. Okay? Okay. We good? Thank you. Let's, me and the captain, go back to what we're talking about, and you can get the fuck out of here. Okay, so he's, Mr. Andrews is saying, like, with the first four compartments breached, she can stay afloat, but not five. So at five of, is when it's gonna get to be too much. It's gonna dip, it's gonna crack. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Andrews is saying, it, the boiler, the, the pump's... They're going to give us maybe minutes, but that's it. What? Basically, Titanic is it. It's it's done. It's it's going to founder. It's going to go under because of the damage. And Mr. Esme is like, oh my gosh, she can't sink. It's like, uh, excuse me. Yes, she can. She's a boat. This whole unsinkable ship nonsense bullshit that you came up with. Well, this whole iceberg is going to poke holes, literally poked holes, in your theory. So, yeah. She's made of iron. Okay, not metal. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. Like, I assure you, she can. Like, it's like any other fucking ship. Wood, iron, metal, tin, who can- Whatever. It's gonna- If something happens, it's gonna go under. No ship is ever unsinkable. But the captain, of course, wants to know how much time do we have to, like, alert everybody and take whatever precautions we- are able to. And Andrew says an hour, maybe two, but that might be pushing it. Um, yeah. They got a lot of work to do. They got to alert everybody. Let them know the situation. I'm surprised they don't have like a big old bullhorn or like some type of um, sound system or speaker system or announcement system that will let people know the situation. But no, they gotta have everyone like posted at 
each floor to let people know, like, hey, here's your life jackets. Good luck to you. That's all I can give you is a life jacket and hope that you make it out of this alive. Anyone else kind of getting a, I'm a, a little bit attracted to Mr. Andrews vibe? I mean, I know it's v- Victor Garber and everything, but I know I, that salt and pepper hair is kind of hot. I don't know. Kind of cute. I mean, Jack's hotter, of course, but uh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's Mr. Murdoch, the poor man that kills himself. Uh, later. Um, 2,200. Holy shit! And, of course, the captain throws this back in Ismay's face, which well deserved. Well, I believe you may get your headlines, Mr. Ismay, as in, we aren't going to have that many survivors. We don't even have enough lifeboats for half or a quarter of the people that we have on board. So, yeah. Alright, let's get back to Rose and Cal, who I can't as can't even bother to look at Rose without like sneering at her in disgust. I swear it's almost like she's bracing to get slapped across the face. It is a little slut, isn't it? <laughs> you look at me when I'm talking to you. Mr. Hockley. Not now. We're busy. Sir, I've been told to ask you to please put on your life belts and come up to the I boat said deck. not now. I'm sorry to inconvenience you, Mr. Hockley, but it's captain's orders. Now, please, dress warmly. It's quite cold out tonight. It is April, after all. Now, may I suggest top coats <laughs> and July. This is ridiculous. Not to worry, miss. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a precaution. Yeah, he goes over to her, slaps her across the face, and basically calls her a, a slut. I'm like, I'm sorry, but if that were me in that situation, after they took Jack away, I'm like, well, I don't need to be here. I don't owe anybody anything. And just leave. Puss are interrupted. We got a guy coming in telling them to get up to the top deck. Captain's orders. Dress warmly. Put on your life belts. Life preservers, I guess. Um, oh, and it's cold, so make sure you wear like a, a top coat and hat. That's about all they're giving the information. They don't even bother with any of that. It's more like, hey, everyone, get up. Uh, uh. Basically, in third class, like, pounding on the doors. Everyone, get up now. Get out of your rooms. And you see Cora and her father there. And he's like, what? What's a yelling moat? And it's like, the hell? You're not even giving them information about what's going on. But then again, how much information... Could they possibly be given? Maybe they're like, now don't scare everybody because we don't want everyone to panic and cause a riot. Just let them know to come up to the top deck. Make sure to dress warmly because it is, you know, like the middle of the night and it's cold out. And it's April. Can you imagine if this, like, happened in July? Would the water still be pretty cold? No one wants to go in the water, even if the water feels like nice, warm temperature bath water. You're still going in the water. What if you can't swim? I don't even think there's enough life jackets for everybody, either, aside from the lifeboats. See the captain give the distress signal, or the distress call that you're going to be, the, the 
Morse code guy is going to be putting out into um, the airways, just letting people know, like, hey, Titanic's um, hit an iceberg. We got a big problem here. We got a lot of... I would think what they want to do is at least try to see if there's another ship around so they can transfer passengers from that their ship to their ship. But then again, other ships may not have the capacity to take on, a whole like, 2,000 people. Maybe they already have people. They have too much, or they don't have the room for them, or whatever. I don't know. The captain also lets the guy know to tell them that we're going down, and um, whoever responds, we're going down and need immediate assistance. Mr. Andrews trying to see what's going on with the passengers, because he sees everyone, tr- uh, the workers, trying to get the rowboats down, so that way you can start eventually loading passengers into the boats. Because... Even if they do find someone and flag another um, ship down, it's probably going to take a bit for them to get there. Not to mention they're going to have to navigate through all those damned icebergs and shit like that. Um, And the one guy's like, Mr. Andrews, it's too cold up here. It's too noisy. They just want to stay inside for now. So even though if they do manage to get a hold of somebody, it's like we still need to get these life rowboat things ready to go and load people on just as a precaution. Like, what if they're not here in time and the ship is already going down? Just remember, Mr. Andrews said an hour to maybe two tops, but that would be pushing it. Because he keeps checking his pocket watch just seeing, okay, like, we're gonna be running out of time. And the thing is, people see those rowboats, they're immediately going to panic and even Molly's like, you got us dressed up in our life preservers here. Like, our what what's going on? And, of course, they're not getting any information because they probably don't want to freak out the passengers. You freak out the passengers, they're gonna... F- it's gonna be fucking crazy. People are gonna start running. People are gonna get trampled. They're gonna get hurt. And that's the last thing... That we need. As long as we can keep them to stay calm, give them just enough information to not let you know, lead them to panicking. I kind of wonder if the employees weren't really given information either, like, from the higher-ups. But we see Rose, Cal, and Ruth heading, I'm guessing they're going to an elevator. It says A deck. And of course, Ruth just thinks this is like, oh, it's probably like a drill or something like that. You know how they do like, um, the if you rode a school bus every great, like, every three months, they probably have like a drill where they pull off somewhere and you'd have the back door open to like if there was an emergency and you'd have to like climb out. And it was so embarrassing having to climb out and have other kids that were on the bus have to help you down. But anyway, Ruth is all like, oh, well, once this is over, can you go back and turn on the heaters in our rooms? I kind of want a cup of tea when I get back. She thinks it's like, it's just like, this is probably just procedure. It's just practice, even though it's like the middle of the night. This ain't going to take long. So we do have Rose here. Um, He is going to tell her... Remember what I, when we were doing that tour and you asked about the lifeboats, how you didn't think there's enough for the people on board? Yeah. Get to a lifeboat. Okay? Whatever you have to do, get to a lifeboat. Mr. Andrews? 
saw the iceberg, and I see it in your eyes. But please tell me the truth. Yes, madam, please put it on the screen. <laughs> the ship will sink. Yes, in an hour or so. All this will be at the bottom of the Atlantic. What? Please, tell only who you must. I don't want to be responsible for exactly. a panic. And get to a boat, quickly. Don't wait. You remember what I told you about the boats? So yeah, he does tell her that the ship is going to sink and Rose is like, you're certain? He's like, yes, yes. About an hour or so, all of this is going to be at the bottom of the ocean. And you just see Cal's face as he's trying to like register like, what? what? What's going on? And he, Mr. Andrews, that's what I thought. It's like, that's why they're not being given information because he doesn't want to cause a panic. You cause a panic and people are going to get hurt. They're going to be trampled. They're going to be killed. People are already going to be killed anyway. Let's not make it worse. And she says, I saw the iceberg and I see it in your eyes. Like, like basically, yeah. Like, Titanic's not coming back from this. This is it. So please, do not wait. Get to a lifeboat. Somebody has to live to tell our story. And I think it should be you. Now, of course, we got the uh, police officer or something to that effect. And he's got Jack in handcuffs. He, Jack's in handcuffs at least twice in this movie. And he's putting them. This is so stupid. You're setting this dude up to die. You're handcuffing him to a pipe. And the other dude's like, hey, look, there's a big mob at the second class purser's office. I don't know what the purser's office is, but um, there's a mob there. And you're going to want to help me um, keep it contained. You know, the thing is, I was thinking about, like, there's first class and there's third class. We really don't seem to get too much mention of second class, but we get it here. Oh, Mr. Big Man with the gun, huh? Aren't you, Mr. Lovejoy? I think that's his name. Is it Lovejoy? I think it might be Mr. Lovejoy. I, I'm going to check. I think that... Yeah, he's like, oh, you go on, I'll watch him as he pulls out his piece from his... Probably got it in his waist pants. <laughs> his waistband. Like, I'm a gangster. I'm going to pull up my piece. Like, fuck you and a half. Let's see. I think his name is Lovejoy. That's the captain? Holy shit. Oh, wait, he's still alive. He looks so different without a beard. He's got, like, really, like, reddish cheeks. He just, oh, my God. Bernard Hill, that's who plays the captain. Spicer Lovejoy. Guys, his first name is Spicer. Oh, God. David Werner, Spicer Lovejoy. That is a poor name if I could think of one. That is a poor name all the way. <laughs> Maybe he had a field career, uh, a failed career as a porn star, and it's like, well, I do know how to use a gun, so I could be like um, a bodyguard, security guard, some level of um, 
police force, something like that. I don't know. I hate this guy anyway, so I'll just say what I want to say about his ass. I hate him. I just call him Spicer. Dick's <laughs> looking at him like, oh, don't leave me alone with him. He's got a gun and I can't go anywhere. Damn it. And Jack just supposedly stole a coat and supposedly a diamond necklace. He doesn't deserve to get shot over that. But then, of course, Spicer Lovejoy decides to punch him in the gut as payment or um, for, for Cal or something. Okay, so we learned that Carpathia is the one that they got in contact with. However, uh, they're not going to be here for four hours. So I'm like, four hours? We're going to be dead by then. The ship's going to be have been underneath on the bottom of the ocean for like two hours by that time. That's not good enough. Apparently they're the only ones close and the only ones awake to have heard. Because this is like early AM. This is like, didn't it go down 100% like it was completely underwater at like 2.30 in the morning? I know guys, I should have done my research. There's so many documentaries on Titanic out there. So many theories. Still want to look up that theory on, um... The whole Olaf Sven, um, Jack Fabrizio theory. If there even is one, there probably isn't. And as soon as the guy's like, oh, they said they can be here in four hours, the cabin just looked at him like, f -f 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 four hours? That's too much time. We'll be dead by the, I mean, we'll, it's not soon enough. They can't get here. Damn it. Well, that sucks. Ugh. We don't have a plan B, apparently. So, it was nice knowing you. You could even in the robots maybe stack some kids on top of adults. I mean, you're not gonna make the thing sink. It says it can hold... They say it can hold a lot of weight. Of course, yes, it's gotta be the women and children first. Natural selection. Um, save the women and children because women gotta reproduce. The children hopefully will have a form of, some form of a future. And as far as the men, they're on their own. Um, they didn't say anything about the elderly. Um, but if they're women, then they get a spot on the rowboat. So, yeah. Just mind you, no amount of money can let you onto this rowboat if you're a man. Or lifeboat, excuse me, if you're a man. So, if there's any rowboats left, maybe we can fit a couple guys on there. But uh, there's more women and children. They, the necessity, we need to go with the women and children. We're thinking of the future here, people. We need to repopulate the earth. And women and children are the only way to do that. So, of course, um, one of the employees clears it with the captain. Like, women and children, that's what you want, right? And he's like, yes, yes. Of course, you know, the captain's distracted with everything going on. It's very... It's like, yeah. So, the employee gets the attention of those that are actually waiting on the deck in their life. Preservers, life vests. And he's like, all right, uh, at this time, we only require, we only want women and children. And you know, because there are some guys in that crowd with the women and the kids. You know that they're going to just rush forward and try to jump into a lifeboat. So it looks like we're going down to, is this second class or third class? Because they're handing out life jackets, or as they call them, life belts for them to put on. So Tommy and Fabrizio, of course, head to the stairwell to lead up to 
I'm guessing the second class area, and they can't get through because everyone's at the stairs, and they're like, oh, isn't it time to go to the boats yet? And the guy is like, no, it's not time to go to the boats yet. We will let you know. I'll let you know. And, of course, you can't get up there because there's a damn gate in front. It's like, what the hell? Apparently, the White Star employee thinks this is going to be a problem and tells the guy next to him, we need more people here in case there's a riot, basically. And the little boy asks his mother, like, what are we doing here, Mommy? And she says, we're just waiting for to go to the boats. You know, once they get done with first class, then they'll come and get us. And I'm like... I don't even think there's enough boats to fit all first class on there, let alone the others. So it looks like we got some people in boats. At least two boats now are filled with people. And it looks like they're having a problem lowering the boats. Like one side of the boat is kind of tilting because it's coming down a little faster than the other side. And you got people in the boat kind of freaking out a little bit, which who wouldn't be, right? You're, like, suspended in midair in this boat being held by ropes. So they just put up, I'm guessing this is a distress signal with the flares to let people know, you know, on other ships, we have a situation here. Our ship's going down. If you're anywhere nearby, please come and give us assistance. All right, now we got to check on Jack, who is still handcuffed to that pipe down below. And he sees in that little porthole that the water level is rising when it technically really shouldn't be. So this Lovejoy must really love his job because he's really toying with Jack. He's, like, tossing, like, the bullet up on the desk and having it roll down into his hand. And he's like, oh, and then he puts it in the gun and he looks at Jack like, you know, I think this ship may sink. Pity for you. You're handcuffed to a pipe. He goes over to Jack and says, Oh, I've been asked to give you the small token of appreciation. And he gut punches Jack. It's like, what the hell, man? You don't gut punch someone when they're handcuffed. I can't believe Cal's name is Kaladin. I thought it was Calvin. Alright, looks like uh, Molly and... Ruth are going to get in the boat. Of course, Cal's like, oh, is there any room for a gentleman, gentleman? It's like, fuck you to hell and back, Cal. You are not getting on that boat. Ruth? I don't know who's worse. Ruth? No, Cal is definitely worse, and Ruth is right up there with him. As she asks, would the lifeboats be seated according to class? And Rose is like, mother, shut up. And of course... Rose tells Ruth, there are not enough lifeboats on the ship for all of the people aboard. Half the people on the ship are going to die. Well, probably more than half. And, of course, Cal's got to throw in there. Well, not the better half. It's like, ooh, I'm so happy with what happens to you later. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. The lifeboats preceded according to class. <coughs> Shut up! Don't you understand? The water is freezing and there aren't enough boats. Not enough by half. Half the people on the ship are going to die. Not the better half. Come on, Ruth, get in the boat. First class seats are right up here. 
it's a pity I didn't keep that drawing. It'll be worth a lot more by morning. You unimaginable bastard. Come on, Rose, darling. There's plenty of room for you. Come on, Rose. You're next, darling. Come into the boat, Rose. Yeah, I am Rose? with you. Rose, did you call me? <laughs> I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Yes! No! I said no! Yes, right in his eye. You get a staph infection. Yeah, so Ruth and Molly get in the boat, and Ruth's like, Rose, get in the boat! And, of course, Rose is like, goodbye, mother, and walks away. It's like, I am not continuing my life with you in it. I'm sorry. Bye! And, of course, she goes to run off. Cal grabs her and is like, oh, you're running to him. A whore to a gutter rat. And she turns to him and says, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. And he keeps telling her, no, no, and grabbing her arm, like, and she finally hawks up a big old loogie and spits it right in his face, in his eye. Like, yes! <laughs> well, that didn't take long. Now that poor hole to the room that Jack is handcuffed to the pipe is completely submerged underwater. Oh my gosh. This whole scene, that entire little dink window is completely underwater. So it looks like Lovejoy left, and Jack's, like, pounding on that pipe with his handcuffs. That's pretty much all he can do. Screaming, help! Can anybody hear me? And, of course, we cut to the hallway. There's just scattered with, like, bags and discarded clothes and stuff. Like, whatever anyone could take, they took and just left what they didn't want to take with them. On the floor, and we see the the hallway is now filling with water, as of course it comes right underneath the door of the room that Jack is in, and he's like, "Oh shit, this is gonna be bad." So Rose finds Mr. Andrews and is asking about where the Master of Arms took someone who was under arrest, and Mr. Andrews is like, "Rose, no, you have to get to a boat." She's like, "No, no, please, just just tell me where he is." If you tell me where he is, I can find him. But if you don't, then I gotta spend time looking. And he pretty much sees that he's not gonna change her mind. So he gives her the directions. She's pretty much gonna go down to where, um, the water's already being flooded in these compartments, in these, uh, areas. She's gonna go, uh, well below deck, down to probably third class, I would imagine, maybe? Alright, she needs to get down to E-deck, and apparently the lifts are closed, and she's like, I'm through being polite, go damn it, now take me down to E-deck. He's like, okay. <laughs> and then now we're, we're kind of jumping between Rose's journey to get to Jack, and Jack just kind of, what can he do? Like I said, he's handcuffed to a pipe, he's not going anywhere. And uh, we just see water, like, filtering through this vent in the door, it's like, oh, shit. 
Nebuchadnezzar Rose and the guy in the elevator, the employee in the elevator, and they're starting to get closer to E-Deck, and right away, like I said, these things don't really have doors. They have those type of doors that are like accordion style. And of course, as they start to get farther down on the ship, water just seeps, like floods that elevator. And he's like, I'm going back up. I'm going back up. And she's no, 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 no. Like, I'll get off here. And he's like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't leave, don't. And she's like, whatever, just. And he's like, I'm going back up. I'm going back up. I'm like, then go back up. Don't worry about her. She'll be fine. She can take care of herself. So of course, as she's going through, some of the lights, normally a hallway should have, what you know, be lit up, right? Well, it looks like the lights are going out. So she's having to maneuver, not just without being able to really have too much light. Now she's also got to deal with stuff being in her way and also the water being probably just below waist deep. And not only that, the water, like I said, it's like almost mid-April, not quite. So, of course... They're still hinging on from winter. You know that water's going to be colder than shit. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if this were happened in July, what would the water temperature situation be? Would it still be freezing? I, I, I kind of wonder. So luckily, with Jack shouting, Rose is able to look uh, locate him. And she's apologizing profusely. And he's like, that guy loved Joy. He put the diamond in my pocket. And she's kissing like, I know, I know, I know. And... Jack's like, all right, look, we have to find the spare key to this, you know, pair of handcuffs that I got on me. Of course, he, she goes over to a cabinet. They're looking for a silver key. Apparently, those ones are all brass. Uh, he's like, well, go check the desk. And he's like, hey, how did you know that I didn't do it? And she's like... I didn't. I just kind of figured I already knew. And I love how, like, she's, like, distracted talking to him. Like, oh, keep looking. Keep looking. <laughs> yeah. So, remember the spot where Jack was like, I'm the king of the world. And then he and Rose had their first kiss. That spot is now being overrun with water. It's space. That spot is pretty much underwater. Did that guy take the damn key with him? I thought he put it in a drawer or something. She's like, there's no key, there's no key. He's like, alright, okay, um, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. You gotta find, like, something sharp, like an axe, maybe? And we're gonna, yeah. Something that's gonna break the chain connecting the two handcuffs together. Oh, he tells her to go find some help. Okay. So Rose is looking for help. Um, we got uh, someone, again, language barrier, as she grabs him. There's a man here, and he needs help. And the guy, of course, like I said, language barrier. They don't speak the same language. And she's, like, grabbing onto him, and he's like, please, please, just don't. I'm trying to, like, get up above deck to hopefully hopefully you can get a rowboat or something. But he's not going to help you look for um help you with Jack. I mean, unless this guy has arms of steel that can break 
uh, hand, a handcuff chain. Um, he really, I don't know what help he's going to be to you. And Rose is just going, hello, hello, as the lights in the hallway go out. All right, so she manages to find someone who's got a stack of life jackets under his arm. And he's grabbing her like, okay, here, I'll show you how to get up to uh, the the top deck where the rowboats are. So you know, there's a man down here and he is trapped. And she's trying to tell him, oh, no, that's okay. Don't worry. Like, dude, you're not listening to her. Finally, she ends up punching him the, in the face. Because he's, like, dragging her to the, the stairwell to go up to the upper level. And she's like, damn it, you're not listening to me! And Liz smashes him in the face, and he's like, the hell with you? So, he leaves, she does the next best thing. She takes the metal nozzle of the fire hose, breaks the don't break this glass unless an emergency that is holding the axe. So remember those stairs she climbed a little bit earlier? Completely covered in water. Like, oh, you're gonna have to swim, girl. You're gonna have to swim. So, of course, she submerges herself into the water and just, oh, it's so cold. Dang, can you imagine if this happened like, January or February? Oh, my gosh. So she comes in the room, like, hey, I got an axe. Will this work? And he's like, well, I guess we'll find out. And she goes, she's really, that... The axe is, like, she's clumsy with it because it's heavy. She's never really held one, used one. And she goes to, like, take a swing. She's like, wait, 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 wait. You've not used an axe before. Why don't you take some practice swings over there? So she does. He's like, all right, now the key is you got to try to hit that same mark again. She really doesn't get <laughs> too close to that same mark. So he's like, you know, that's close enough. Just, uh, just, just do it. Just get this. Yeah. And luckily she does. She doesn't maim his hand. She doesn't cut off a finger. Gets right there in between his hands and gets the handcuffs separated. I mean, he's still got to wear the handcuffs, but at least he can move his arms now and his hands. We can already see in this scene that Rose's lips are starting to turn a little purplish blue from being in that water. And mind you, Jack hasn't really gotten into the water yet, but his reaction is, oh, shit, this is cold. It's like, yeah, it is. It's April. That's not going to be bath water temperature. But I'm sure we all wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, guys. Um, <laughs> we see a couple rowboats running away from the boat, and I think we're gonna have a problem here. As Mr. I think it's Mr. Andrews is like, what is going on? You're only filling the boats halfway, and the guy who's kind of running the whole thing, getting people into the lifeboats, is like, well, we were afraid the boats would buckle. It's like, the fuck? <laughs> no, fill the boats. We don't have many of them. You need to fill them as much as humanly possible. Stack people on top of each other. It'll be fine. 
We do get a little bit of commentary from Molly, who's in a rowboat with Ruth, and she's like, well, there's something you don't see every day. So I think now that they're away from the ship and they can kind of see just how bad things are from a distance, because you're seeing the ship is sinking. Like, there's no getting around that. Yeah, we're seeing at least one, two... Wait, are those boats filled? I don't know if they got people in them or not. Another one's being... Uh, Boat number three is being loaded into the water as we speak. People are thinking that they're going to bring their damn luggage with them into the rowboat. Hell no! If you can fit it in your pocket, great, but it's not. That luggage you got is like, that could be another person sitting in that rowboat. So, because they're like, what this? get this damn luggage out of here. You don't need it. You just, yeah. So, he's ripping this woman away from her husband as she's kissing him goodbye. Like, because they don't know if they're going to see each other again. Odds are they might not. So, Lovejoy, of course, we see him again. And I guess he's been looking for Rose, saying, like, oh, she's not on the starboard side. Who the fuck? You're worried about the woman who does not want you, Cal? I mean, no, he ain't getting in the rowboat anytime soon, but... <sighs> Things like this whole movie has been, where's Rose? Rose, why didn't you come see me? Well, I was, like, drinking brandy and smoking, and... Oh, why didn't you come to my room last night? Or, why don't you find out where Rose is? Like, <sighs> she does not want your ass! Give it up! Oh, I didn't mention um, the the quartet, the um, the um, the little band. They're playing like I think it said the wedding dance, like something cheery, so that way people aren't gonna panic. They're gonna panic regardless. Of course, we we know this. No amount of any poppy sounding music is gonna make this situation any lighter. Of course, Cal mentions how no one on this side is letting men on. And Lovejoy's like, well, on the other side, they're letting men on, supposedly. And Cal's like, well, I guess that's what we'll go with, but we'll need some insurance first. So he's going to slip someone some money. Ugh. It's all about the money with this dude. All about the money. Oh, I gotta play this. is funny. As they're, uh, Rose and Jack have to break down a door just to get to the next level. And then this damn White Star employee has the nerve to, like, that's White Star line property. You'll have to pay for that. And they're like, shut up. So you are going to answer him and give him a reason. 
Because he's like, look, there, 20 or so, and a boat built for 65 people. And mind you, they're not throwing grown men into a boat. It's all women and children. You should be able to fit twice as much. One boat had 12 fucking, are you insane? 12 damn people? I mean, get the hell out of my way. I am doing your job now, okay? Because finally, he gets it to, like, you need to fill these boats to capacity. Stack people on top of each other, or each other sit them on their laps, whatever. And this guy is like, well, we weren't sure of the weight, Mr. Andrews. These boats may buckle. And Andrews is like, rubbish. Like, bullshit. Don't fake me your excuses. Fill the boats. Apparently, the boats were tested in Belfast with a weight of 70 men. 70, guys. Do you know how many women and children you can fit in that boat? A lot of them. So, of course, third class, they're all unable to... They're all pretty much packed in the stairwell, a good chunk of the people. And Tommy's kind of speaking for everyone. like, the ship's bloody sinking. You can't keep us down here like animals. And of course, you know, as soon as they open those gates, like, bring the women forward, the women and children only, and you know right away that the the men are going to push forward and it's going to be a situation here. They're actually hitting men in the faces with the, with the butts of the, um, the axes. And this is loading a damn gun! Like, I think shooting some of these people is, like, the opposite of what you want to do. Just let them go. Let all of them go. It'll be sorted once they get up top. I think he's just using the gun to threaten them. And this title says third class panic. And Tommy's all like, look, there are women and children down here. Let us out so we can have a chance. So Jack meets up with uh, Tommy and Fabrizio. And I think, is this where, yeah... Jack's going to take control of the situation. Now we got to go back to Lovejoy and Cal as he's putting the diamond in a coat jacket. Or a coat jacket. A jacket. He says, I make my own luck. So they end up going, trying to find another way to get out. We see, again, with the language barrier, people trying to understand the one guy's got his translator book, looking at e-deck, and just trying to figure out where they are. We got one lady pleading with her husband, like, don't leave me, don't leave me. And it's just, it's sad. And of course, the guy, the, this stairwell is, in fact, close as well. Just go back on the main stairwell, like I told you. Like, Oh, we're going to see Jack is like, fuck this, and fuck you too. He is going to take charge of this.
There we go. So yeah, Tommy, Fabrizio, and Jack rip a bench out of the floor and use it as a battering ram to break down that gate. And they do. And luckily, everyone is able to get out of there. And of course, Tommy has to punch that employee in the face. Like, So now we're going to go back, you know, above deck. They're trying to keep the men away from getting into the boats, of course. And doing that, one of the ladies ends up getting pushed over and she grabs onto the lifeboat. Like, I don't want a boat, I don't want to die. Of course, we got that dude that is all like, Back I say, or I'll shoot you all like dogs. As he's got, he's pointing a gun at Everly. What the hell? Oh, I noticed. Okay, the gun was not, it didn't have any bullets in it. So he's just threatening them with an empty gun. Okay. But no, now he's loading the gun. Great. Oh my gosh. So they got a boat, a boat being launched into the water. Just as another boat is like on top of them. You got people like. And the boat underneath them, like, trying to cut the ropes. So, like, you're going to smush us all. What the hell? I get, you know, all the panic and everything people, you know, employees aren't thinking. But it's, like, one at a damn time. So, Jack and Rose get up there and she realizes the boats are all gone. And, of course, she asks this man in the top hat, like, hey, where, are there any other boats? He's like, yeah, down that way a bit. And they take off. Now we see the string quartet that have been playing music. One of them's like, what's the use? Nobody's listening to us anyway. Well, you know the ship is sinking. Music is going to be the last thing that these people are thinking about. They're thinking of getting into a rowboat. That is like their clear main objective here. Get to a rowboat. <laughs> I love the guy who's like, oh, they're not listening to us. It's like, well, they don't listen to us at dinner anyway. And the guy's like, let's just keep playing. I mean, it keeps us warm, right? I mean, yeah, if you think about it, I mean, they're moving their arms and stuff and whatnot. So, eh, keeping them warm. So they're playing Orpheus. I've never heard it before, but of course, for this scene, it works good because it's kind of a rushing tune. As we see Jack and Rose, like, rushing to get to the rowboats. I love Tommy's comment here, like, music to drown by. Now I know I'm in first class. <laughs> I can't believe Cal thinks that he could buy his way onto one of those fucking boats. Like, do we have an understanding, Mr. Murdoch? I have a, I have a deal here for you. Like, and the guy, he just... Cal puts the money in the guy's pocket, and the guy... Everyone in this movie seems to have the bluest of blue eyes. Like, almost everybody in this movie's got the bluest of blue eyes. So Jack and Rose make it to where they are filling the boats up with uh, women and children. So pretty much got all the women and children on that side, so they're letting some guys on. Like, if you want to get in the boat, get in the boat. And I guess finding Rose is more important. <sighs> And then, yeah, and then later, like, we got a deal. I was like, dude, you had your fucking shot, and you didn't take it. So that shit's on you. Why do you need to find her? She doesn't want you. This is such, ugh. I guess Mr. Ismay decides to get in the boat, too. Ugh. This is sad here, as the girl is being put in a boat, and she's telling her dad, like, Daddy, get in the boat. And, oh my gosh, it's so sad. He's like, it's goodbye for a little while. Only for a little while. And it's just like, oh, that poor girl. I mean, I don't know 
off whether, you know, that's her mom there with her sister. Or maybe she just, maybe, like, Cora just went on the boat with her dad. And she's like, oh, ho, ho, ho. Okay, so she is with her mother. Gotcha. Okay. So he's just assuring her, like, this is the boat for the mommies and the children. And then, you know, there'll be another boat for the daddies later. Okay, so she is, I... I don't know why I thought she was just being put on a boat with people she didn't know, but her mommy is there with her. So, of course, Rose says, I'm not going without you. And Jack's like, no, you have to. Get on the boat, Rose. And, of course, here comes Cal saying, yes, Rose, get on the boat. Like, fuck you. And he's like, oh, my God. Cal's like, oh, you must be freezing. Here, let me put my coat on you. Like, and she's just like, get, believe that at all. See? Got my own boat to catch.
Oh my gosh, I need it. Oh my goodness. Mm. Yeah, so Cal like rips off the blankets that I guess Jack had gotten for Rose and puts his own coat on there. She's in the boat and she's like, I don't want to go without you. And of course Cal's like, oh, well, there's a boat on the other side of the ship letting men on. So Jack's like, see, I got my own boat to catch. And of course she gets in the boat and you just see... How the music is pumped in as she's being lowered down and she's looking at Jack and of course Cal's there. And then you see these signal flares going up behind Jack and I think in Rose's mind she's like, no, I don't want to be separated from him. And she jumps back onto the ship and just starts running and Jack starts running and, excuse me, he meet, they meet, you know, at the bottom of the grand staircase. And he's like, Rose, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Why? And, you know, he's kissing her. They're kissing. And she's like, you jump, I jump, remember? And, oh, my goodness. It's like, that's right. That's right. And, of course, we see Cal at the top of the staircase hearing them confessing their love. You know, like, I'm not going to leave you. I didn't. It wasn't right. And it's, it's like, dude, what is your delusional... How is he going to get over the fact that she doesn't want him nothing, no money in the world, nothing is going to make her want you? And what is it just that he doesn't like the idea that a woman would refuse him? The fact that he comes from money and all this stuff? He's got a shit attitude and he's jealous as fuck. He's just a garbage human being. So he ends up grabbing Lovejoy's gun and then going after Jack and Rose, shooting into the air and chasing after them. He's pretty much shoot like running around the ship shooting at them. And now Jack and Rose are going through what I'm guessing might have been the dining area. Just, you see all these wicker chair furniture and tables and stuff just floating and they're trying to make their way through everything. While he, I don't know how many bullets they got in that gun, but clearly it's quite a few because he keeps shooting at them. Hey, how about that? He ran out of bullets. And he's like, I hope you enjoy your time together. Like, fuck your shit and yourself. I gotta say, what is with the eyeliner on Cal? It's just too damn much. Apparently the water hasn't gotten to this section of the dining era, area because all the tables still have china and flowers and vases and all that stuff. And of course, what does he realize? <laughs> I put the diamond in the coat. I put the coat on her! Like, so it looks like they're back down below again. And there's a young boy who you don't even... He's by himself. He's crying for his dad, for his mom. And 
they see that that door is about ready to blow off its hinges in the hallway and they're going to get swept away. Of course, Jack goes to grab him because Rose is like, we, hate, we can't just leave him there. And Jack goes to grab him. And that's when the father just pops out of nowhere. He's like, hey, what are you doing with my kid? Basically, you know, in another language. And he just rips the boy from Jack's arms. And the guy, like, picks up a suitcase and just walks in the direction where that door is going to blow off its hinges. Of course... The hallway is now flooded and kind of carrying them away, and they hit one of those accordion-style doors. Like, ugh, again with the shit. So clearly they can't go this way. They turn around and they go up a stairwell, which also, I believe, has a set of accordion doors to it that is locked. They can't get through. But luckily, that stairwell has not been flooded by water yet. So they're screaming, like, help, help. They're, like, banging on the, the gated door. And lo- lo- luckily, some employee just happens to be running past. They're like, wait, 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 wait. Because he's about ready to go up the stairs. He's like, please, please, help us. And he tries to, like, unlock the key. There's, like, a hundred damn keys on this keychain. And he ends up dropping them. He's like, I'm going back up. So, of course, by that time, Jack's going to, the stairwell has really filled with water, so he's going to go under the water to grab the keys to be able to get the right one to unlock it. I'm just kind of thinking of all that, because that stairwell is now, like, almost completely flooded with water, and Jack, of course, is trying to, he's got the keys, he's trying to get the key into the lock, but it's like, wouldn't the pressure of that water, like, make it really hard to be able to get that key in there and turn it, and not to mention, once you do get it unlocked, trying to pull the accordion-gated doors back so you can get out with all that water and that pressure, like, pushing up against it? I mean, I'm not a scientist and stuff like that, but I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Were any of you, when you saw this for the first time in the theater, really nervous? Like, oh my gosh, they're not going to make it. They're not going to get out. But then again, you saw the beginning of the movie, so you know at least Rose gets out because she's an old woman. She's the one telling this, this tale. So, of course, we go back up top. We see all the men still being um, denied a seat on the rescue boats. This is where we get the little girl like, Mommy! Like, how did she get separated from her? We don't know. And Caleb goes to leave, but at this moment, are we to really believe this man has a heart? Or is he just using this kid as his one-way ticket to get onto a lifeboat? I honestly think, I don't think this guy's got a heart. I don't think so. I think quickly, and he's like, if I got a kid here with me, pretend it's mine, or basically he's using the kid like a ticket to get on a boat. Oh, no, wait, he leaves her. Okay, okay. So is this uh, the Murdoch guy who Cal had given money to? Because Tommy's like, look. Give us a chance. And Murdoch's pointed the gun, and he's like, I'll shoot any man who tries to get past me. Get back! Of course, Cal comes up here, and he's like, hey, we had a deal. And Murdoch just, like, throws Cal's money in his face, like, hey, the money will not save you any more than me. All right? 
So one guy tries to get on the boat and Murdoch shoots him. Somebody ends up pushing Tommy forward and Tommy then gets shot. It's like, shit. What's up? We like Tommy. Tommy's an awesome guy. Fabrizio's like, oh, no, 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 Tommy, Tommy. And he looks at Murdoch like, you bastard. And, of course, Murdoch is just in shock now. He's just killed two men. And he can't live with that fact. And he ends up killing himself. Oh, he does the thing where he, like, salutes. And um, his employee looks at him. And he kind of figures, like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Okay, so his name was Will. And he pretty much just shot himself in the head and tips backward into the water. So now Cal goes back for the kid. No one else has heard this child screaming. I get it. Everyone's panicking. No one's thought to grab this kid. But no, this is like, well, this is clearly going to be my way to get onto a boat now. Like, I have a child. Stun back. I have a child. And the guy just looks at him like, whatever, just get on the boat. You piece of shit. He pretends like that's his kid. Like, please, I'm all she has left in the world. She don't fucking know you. I'm like, I don't know this guy. He just picked me up. He looks so uncomfortable as he sits down in the boat and he's like, oh, give her to me. And he's like patting her head like, oh, God, looking around like, oh. So it looks like I think Mr. Andrews is going to go down with the ship. Because Jack's got Rose's uh, hand and they're like running and she sees he's at the clock. And she's like, Mr. Andrews, aren't you going to try to make a run for it? Are you going to try to, you know, save yourself? This is sad. As he's like, I'm sorry I didn't build you a stronger ship, young Rose. I like this little thing that they have together. It's really, it's sweet. It's almost like he's looking out for her. Jack's grabbing Rose's hand like, Rose, it's moving, it's going fast, we have to move. I mean, you can hear it groaning like stuff is going to start to break away. Like, I think eventually the, the ship is going to snap in two. So he does give her probably his life jacket. Like, good luck to you, Rose. Oh, here's the Guggenheim dude with the top hat and he's got the white, like, silk scarf. And we see a white... Starline employee, like, go to hand him a life jacket. Like, here you go, Mr. Guggenheim. He's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. We are dressed in our best and are prepared to go down as gentlemen. I don't think that guy's been up above and not seen the chaos going on there. I think they're, like, thinking it's not a big deal. What a dick! He has the nerve to ask for a brandy with everything going on right now. It's like, sir, we got other stuff for doing. We're trying to save lives here, and you want a damn brandy? What, to take the edge off? Mr. Guggenheim has no... Oh my god, he's, he's just got no awareness of what's going on around him. I get it, he's first class and shit like that, but come on, man. People are dying. So, okay, Captain Smith is his name. Gotcha. So, his employee gives him a life preserver, life vest, and he just kind of, like, was like, no, no, you give it for someone else. What's that term, like, the captain going down with the ship? And I think that's what he's planning to do. Um, A lady who, again, a little bit of a language barrier, but not much. She's like, Capitan, Capitan. Where do I go? Where do I go? And he doesn't even answer her. He turns away from her. He's got a little infant baby. 
looks like um the band is disbar uh disbarring uh they're disbanding i guess because the other three take off but it looks like wallace i believe his name is is gonna stay there and just keep playing and i love how the other three just kind of turn around and look at him we're like oh, we may as well just keep playing i mean we're we're all in this together um that they're playing here is nearer my god to thee and we get a lot of quick cuts we see the captain in um in uh i'm gonna is this the the captain's station the captain's room with the wheel and everything and i think pretty much he's gonna go down with the ship as we see water flooding in underneath the door and of course the windows looking out also the water is rising quickly it's just a matter of time before that water just breaks through those windows and starts pouring into that room. Then we go to Mr. Andrews, and he's correcting the time on the clock over the fireplace. And it looks like it's just before 2.15 in the morning, like maybe 2.13 at this point. This is sad. We see a husband and an elderly husband and wife just clinging to each other on the bed like this is the, this is how we're going to die together. In each other's arms. The mother who um, had this son, little boy and girl, and how the boy's like, what are we doing here, Mommy? You're like, oh, we're just waiting for the first class to get on the boat, and then they'll, you know, call for us. So pretty much she's decided, like, this is, this is what's going to happen. We're just going to sing my babies to sleep. I'm going to tell them a story, and mm, I'm getting choked up just talking about it. She's going to die with her, her, her kids. We also see Rose's paintings just floating in the water. Fabrizio's taking Tommy's life jacket. And we see water pouring up from the stairwell to the um, front of the ship there. You can definitely see it's underwater. And just everyone's running around panicking. We see Kale with that girl. And that girl, just the look of shock and fright on her face. It just everything that's going on because I don't think they've even let they're still in that rowboat which is still you know suspended in, in midair waiting to be put into the water Mr. Guggenheim who's just hanging out in a chair dressed in his finest with his top hat we see water coming up in uh I'm guessing this might be like the main floor or something like that and he's just the look of like surprise of what like <laughs> He clearly did not know the seriousness of this. He's just hanging out in a chair. And people are like trying not to drown here as water is just coming up. And also remember um, there's this big glass dome that eventually it's going to break and water is just going to come pouring in. And I believe this is uh, Wallace when he's playing the violin, and he just stops playing and he looks at them. And he says, gentlemen, it has been a privilege playing with you tonight. And he, they see, like, the rushing water on the deck, and it's just like, yeah, they're all going to die together. But they're going to die doing what they love. And by doing their job, playing for... You know, to try to keep the people calm. It's not really helping, but 
We go back to the captain's room here with the wheel, and of course, just like I said, those windows just burst with water just pouring in. And he grabs that captain's wheel, or that ship's wheel, and just holds on tight as the water just, like I said, it fills very, very quickly in that room. So there's those four big smokestacks there, and of course, as the ship, the front of the ship is starting to now go under sea level, you know eventually that weight is going to be too much, and those smokestacks are just going to break away from the leads that are holding them upright. And most likely, who's ever underneath it is going to be killed. Um, Jack tells Rose, look, we have to stay on the ship as long as possible. As long as possible. So it's like, everyone is like, we gotta get to the end of the ship. We gotta get as far away from the water while the ship is still. Because you can see it's actually rising. The end of the ship is rising out of the water. Remember where the grand staircase is with the clock and everything? That water is just rushing up. And it's like, uh, it's bad because it's like they had a to try to get out of there and they didn't take it, whether they didn't know how serious everything was or whatever, but it's like, you kind of lost your chance. Now it's like, you can't get out of there. You're stuck. So, of course, Jack and Rose are trying to make their way to the back of the ship, of course, along with everyone else who's pretty much got the same frame of mind. It's like, you got to be careful not to get trampled. Now, just like I said, the smokestack is coming down uh, too much weight, on the front of the ship is is and the pressure is pulling it down and sadly this is where we lose Fabrizio. We lost Tommy because he got shot. And now we're gonna lose Fabrizio as he gets crushed by the smokestack. So real quick, remember the rescue boat that Cal was on? It looks like he's the only one in it. Everyone else has jumped out because now that has flooded with water because it never got released into the water it was still on the ship and he's all like hitting people with oars like stop you'll swamp us it's like swamp who you're the only one on that damn little rescue rowboat so of course um jack and rose are heading up the stairway up to the um is that, i don't think that's no that's not the stairway that's just the railing to the the deck that they're on, and of course it almost looks like stairs because of the way that it's slanted. And of course the person in front of them is doing the, um, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And of course Jack's like, you want to move a little faster through that valley guy? <laughs> Come on. So just like I said, that glass dome shatters as water just pours in. Seeing the water, the damage it's doing down hallways and everything like that, we now are going to the back of the ship where the propellers are and seeing that all the water is creating that pressure and it's getting too heavy as the hull of the ship is now rising up out of the water. And that's pretty much what everyone wants to do is they want to get to the end of the ship because that is the only part of the ship that is not currently underwater being overtaken by the water. We see people that are in the water. We see a rowboat. I 
know someone's going to hit that damn propeller on the way down, and it is not going to be a pretty sight. It is, wow. We do have a reverend there who's performing like a little church service, just, you know, with the prayers of Hail Mary and everything, as Jack and Rose and other people are just trying to get past them. And I'm just thinking that, yeah, as that, the hull and everything, the back of the ship is being raised up, you, I can imagine this got to be pretty dang hard to keep your footing because you would be sliding backwards. And this is just so sad. You see this woman with her son just saying, it'll be, it'll be over soon. It'll all be over soon. I'm just like, oh my gosh. So yeah, Jack and Rose are clinging to that railing, trying to stay upright. And Rose sees this girl with blonde hair. Is this the girl that danced with Fabrizio? I'm kind of thinking it might be. Because she looks like she recognizes her. Yes, it is where they first met. On the back of the ship, that's true. And of course, like I said, with that ship, the hull tipping upward, people who aren't clinging to something are sliding down that deck. They keep cutting to different parts of the ship, like um, a, ta a mirrored table falling over or all that china just tipping forward. A whole bedroom set is just like scraping across the floor. Oh, Trudy! She was the one that was helping. Um, she was assigned to Rose and them. Um, she was helping Rose look for a painting. She was helping get that mess cleaned up after Cal flipped over that table. And you just see her just zoom, just lose. You know, someone was hanging on to her and. Lost, she lost the grip and just started sliding down. I'm like, no, not Trudy. She was a sweetheart. We do see he, a couple people hit that hull as they're falling. I don't think people are... I wonder if some are actually just jumping into the water or whether a good majority of them are just falling into the water. I'm guessing this guy here has got to be a cook or something because he, like, drinks from his flask and then eventually he loses his grip on the railing and just falls to his death. And we're cutting back now to Ruth and Molly in the rowboat. They haven't really gone anywhere. They're just almost like they're kind of sitting there watching everything unfold in front of them. And just the horror-stricken looks on their face. And I'm sure Ruth is probably thinking, my, my daughter could be still up there. They go down to where the breakers are, the lights and everything, and one guy ends up getting electrocuted, whether he's trying to keep them on or turn them off, but now Titanic is plunged in darkness, like, and not to mention, like I said, it's like 2.30 in the morning at this point. It's gonna be pitch dark out. I mean, yeah, there's the stars, but how much light are they really gonna give you? It's pitch dark on the ship. You're not gonna see where you're going. If you're sliding somewhere, you're not gonna be able to see what direction. Well, you know what direction you're going, but you don't know if you're gonna hit somebody or something on the ship. It's like, it's terrifying that the ship is going down and like, we may not make it. Odds are we might not make it, but now we're plunged into darkness, so even if we could find. You know what I mean? It's just, it is scary. It's like, that's just adding to the fear. It's like, you can't even see anything at this point. It's pitch black. 
Oh, here we go. This ship is now going to... It, this title is Death of Titanic. The ship is now breaking in half, like I said. And just like Lewis said with that CGI um, analysis going on, that it's too much pressure for the ship having, like, probably 60% of it now in the water, or maybe even more than 60% of it is now underneath the water surface so of course it's going to start snapping and anyone that's there anyone that's right in that spot is going to go right down right down that crack they're going to go right into the water and of course lovejoy here we see him he's got a, a bloodied head this actually is explained in the deleted scene i think he and jack get into a fight or something that's why he's got a bloody head. And most of us probably just assume, like, oh, maybe it's just due to what's going on on the Titanic. Maybe something hit him in the head. Who knows? We don't really care anyway because he's a piece of shit character. So goodbye with him. So, yeah, while that is splitting in half, you see Jack and Rose kind of bracing themselves because now it's like their part of the ship is now gonna be hitting the water because if when they were up there it was at an incline and now it's gonna be like and anyone who's underneath that part where the propellers are they're gonna be hit they're gonna most likely be pulled down with the suction the pressure all of that so of course as the top half of the ship front half of the ship where it broke is going down now they're being raised back the end of the boat is now being raised back out of the water and jack kind of knows what's gonna happen as far as what he's telling rose to do like the suction is gonna pull us down we gotta hang onto the ship as long as we can just hold on and also hold your hold your breath as well so they've been hanging onto the inside of the railing, and Jack's like, we gotta move, we gotta get on the outside of the railing, on the outside of the ship. I think other people are kind of following Jack's direction and what he's doing. Like, yeah, you want to get on the other side of that railing. Otherwise, when the suction pulls you down, you're gonna be on the wrong side. You're wanna, gonna want to be, like, on the side where you are able to actually get away. Yeah, like, we are seeing a lot of people that are holding onto the railing from the inside are actually losing their grip from the momentum. Because now, the ship is actually tilted all the way up. Like, like Lois said, like, Bob's like a cork in the water. That half of the ship does. And everyone's, like, losing their grip. Well, not everybody, but... I'm guessing this has got to be the girl that Fabrizio danced with because we are getting a lot of focus and looks between her and Rose. As this lady, I don't know her name, but she ends up losing her grip and falling. Now we see the ship is being pulled down by the suction. And Jack's kind of like, all right, this is it. And you just hear Rose going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. One way or another, you're going to end up in that water. At one point, I almost thought, like, eventually, like, it would, like, tip, like, 
on its head on a way where the it's going to be upended into the water, but no, it just pulls it directly down. So Jack's like, all right, the ship is going to suck us down. You have to take a deep breath when I say. He gives her advice, like, okay, here's what's going to happen. You need to hold your breath, kick for the surface, and keep kicking. If you think about it, once they get down, there are a lot of people in that water, just in that surrounding area alone. So you're going to really have to fight to get to the surface. says is don't let go of my hand okay and they get ready it's like all right i'm one two three and they both hold their breath and immediately we see from the back of it the last thing we see of the titanic is titanic liverpool and it's complete the entire ship now is completely underwater it's gone and if you think about it it's almost like it wasn't there to, it was never there to begin with but we still have all these people that are still in the water. And I'm just, I've thought about this before, and I'm thinking the fact that he said, don't let go of my hand. And think about it. He is not wearing a life jacket. She is the only one who's wearing a life jacket. Because if he lets go or she lets go, that's it for him. He just sinks right to the bottom. So I think he's trying to kick them both to the surface, but it feels like the suction is like pulling at Jack and yanking him down. And eventually they do get separated. Their hands lose contact. You see her trying and reaching with all her might to grab at him, but it's like that suction, like I said, it's pulling him down and farther and farther. How many of you, when you first saw this in the theater or whether you didn't see it in the theater, you saw it on VHS. How many of you thought, that's it, we're not going to see Jack again? Like, I probably, for one, thought, oh no, oh no, we've lost him, we've lost him. So Rose gets to the surface, and of course, you see everybody, the ones at least that are wearing life jackets, that are bobbing on the surface, are all kicking, screaming, and it's like, there's a lot, and you know that anyone that doesn't have a life jacket most likely is trying to go and grab for somebody that does. And, sh and be basically being in... Everyone there is in panic mode. I remember I went whitewater rafting, and the instructor said, if you do go over, even though, you know, we're wearing our life vests, if you do go over, do not panic. I went over, and the first thing that went into my mind was panic. Even though I was wearing a life vest, I was like, oh no, no, no. And the thing is, I can't swim. So, but luckily someone did grab me and pull me back into the raft. Here's the thing, you could tell someone not to panic, but is that not the go-to thought as soon as, I, I don't know. I guess it just, it depends on the person. And she's looking around, like screaming, like, Jack, Jack, Jack. You see the camera like pull back and she is just in a 
the throng of all these panicking people. There are so many people in the water. It looks like it goes on for miles. There's so many. Oh my gosh. She's calling for Jack and all immediately some guy, like I said, full on panic mode, grabs at Rose. Basically like, I'm going to use you as a way to keep myself afloat. And in doing so, he's pushing her under the water. But luckily, Jack comes to a rescue and punches the guy out. And he's like, okay, Rose, we got to get out of this sea of people here. Let's just get where we can get and try to find what we can find. Don't think about the pain. Just keep swimming. Come on. Here. Keep swimming. Come on. <laughs> okay, Here. so that's where they find it. How is no one else? I don't know if everyone's panicking, though. I might not see it. Nope, that's not gonna work. Only one of you's gonna be able to get on there. Stay on, Rose. Now this here, this is a debate that's been going on as long as this movie's been around. Whether or not, and this actually, this theory has been tested on the Mythbusters show, and even Steven Spielberg, probably Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, have all had to field this question from somebody or many people over the last, like, 23 years. Could they both have fit? I don't think so. They're like, well, what if they tried this way? What if they tried that way? I'm surprised that that piece of wood didn't already have someone already occupying it. But I think right now, everyone's still in panic mode. Everyone's still screaming, kicking, splashing. They're not looking for something to be able to get themselves out of the water. They're not at that point yet, but Jack is clear thinking he knew exact. I think maybe from when he fell in the water in Wisconsin and everything, it's like maybe he kind of took from that. But anyway, this has been such a debate, and so many people are like, oh, well, what if he got in this way, she got on this way, they both could be on it. And clearly we see, and even Mythbusters has proved, no there would only have been room for one. So, 
Jack is just trying to be comforting, like, look, um, we just gotta, because they do have an official in the water, he's got a whistle, and he's trying to blow, like, alert those that are in the rowboats, like, come back with the boats, come back with the boats, and Jack's like, see, the rowboats are gonna come back and get us, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, and he's just trying to keep, you know, her calm, meanwhile, they're both, like, you can see they're beyond freezing, like, <sighs> so now we're gonna go to Molly and Ruth in the boat, and of course, they're like, hey, maybe we can make room, and the guy at the helm, who's the white Starline employee, is like, are you insane? We go over there, they're gonna flood the boats, we're all gonna be in the water, and even Molly is just stands up and just looks at, you know, all these women like, what is wrong with you? That's your men out there. And nobody is jumping up and grabbing an oar. She's like, all right, ladies, let's grab an oar. And the White Star Line employee is like, are you mad? We're in the middle of the North Atlantic. And Molly's all like, stop it, okay? You're scaring us. Yeah, and the guy even threatens to, like, throw Molly over. I would have knocked that fucking guy into the water in a heartbeat. So I don't know if this is um, Ruth and Molly's boats, but we got someone else who are like, all right, we got to pull these boats in together and transfer people from one to another because they want to fill them to capacity. And he basically says, look, we're going back, okay? So this is what I need you to do. Looks like the guy with the whistle has passed away. He's still got the whistle in his mouth, so that is going to come in handy for Rose later. And Rose comments on how, you know, it's getting kind of quiet, and Jack's like, oh, well, they just need to get the boats organized, and they're going to be here. And we see that it's so cold that Jack and Rose's hair, especially Jack's hair, because he's in the water, has started to frost over. Maybe even crystallize. So, of course, Jack's like, I don't know about you, but I'm planning to write a strongly worded letter to the uh, White Star Line about all this. Like, Jack, buddy, don't you worry. These people are going to be sued so fucking much. Yeah. They'll get theirs. And this is where Rose tells Jack that she loves him. And, of course, Jack knows what she's doing. Like, she's thinking this is the end. It's like, don't you dare say that. You don't do this, because this is not the end. It's like, don't say your goodbyes. Not yet. And she's saying how she's so cold. I'm like, Rose, I know you're cold, but Jack is still in the water. And Jack is just telling her, like, you're going to get out of here. You're going to go on. You're going to make lots of babies. And you're going to watch them grow. And it's almost like he's prophesizing what is going to happen. He's like, you're going to die. An old woman. An old lady. Worm in her bed. Not here, okay? Not this night. And she's saying how she can't feel her body. And he tells her that winning that ticket was the best thing to happen to me because it brought me to you. I'm getting choked up right now with just talking about it and thinking about it, how he sacrificed himself for her so she could go on and live the life that she deserved to live. He tells her, he takes her hand and says, you must do me this, this honor. You must promise me that you'll survive. Promise me now. It's like, promise me that you won't give up, no matter what happens. He says, promise me now, Rose, and never let go of that promise. 
And she says, I promise. And he says, never let go. Never let go to that promise. And she says, I'll never let go of Jack. Organized. I don't know about you, but I intend to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star Flying about all this. I love you, Jack. Don't you do that. Don't you say your goodbyes. Not yet. Do you understand me? I'm so cold. I suppose you're gonna get out of here. You're gonna go on. And you're gonna make lots of babies. Watch them grow. You're gonna die an old, an old lady, warm in her bed. was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful for that, Rose. Thankful. You must. You must. You must do me this honor. You must promise me that you'll survive. That you won't give up. No matter what happens, no matter how hopeless, promise me now, Rose. So I'm just thinking, you know, Rose is even saying just, you know, her being on that board is, I, I can't feel my body. And I'm just thinking, I think that Jack realizes he's not going to make it. And I think that his body is slowly starting to shut down. And that's why he, he needs to know. Wait, when he said, he's like, I can't leave. I need to know that you're going to be all right. And I think that's. He wants to know that after everything that they've been through, that she's going to make it. She's she's going to survive and then go on and then live the life that they talked about and do all the things that they talked about doing and everything like that. Because if not, if she just gives up, then what, what was this? What was all this? So we go back to... 
the uh, the lifeboats, they are, they got a big spotlight. They're checking to see who's, you know, passed away, who's still out there breathing, fighting to continue to live. Of course, they're making their way through all the people that were splashing and crying and screaming for help. And unfortunately, as they've said, or they, he says, we waited too long. So I'm seeing on the side of the boat here, it looks like, uh, what was that, 30 inches, 9, 6, and it says 6-4-P, and I'm guessing that means that is the capacity of the amount of people that you can have in that boat. None of those boats had 64 people in them, I'm telling you right now. I love how this guy is being so gentle, like, careful with your oars, please don't hit them. Like, even though they've passed, it's like, just... Please be careful and be respectful of the dead. Like, nobody asked for this to happen. Just, yes, treat them with respect. They're still people. They may be dead, but they're still people. And he starts calling, saying, is there anyone alive out there? Can anyone hear me? And then hoping that maybe somebody can still, like, say, you know, most likely... They're not going to be able to shout because probably all that cold is probably taking away um, the strength of their voice. This is so sad. We see a mother with her infant baby and it's just like, oh. Give this man a, an award. This man here is so caring and it's just he's just so overcome with emotion. Like, we, we waited too long. And he's like looking at the other, you know, employees, co-workers, like, keep looking, keep checking them. So we do get, oops, we do get an above shot of Rose lying on, I'm guessing this could very well be like a, um, a headboard to a bed, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is, but She's just holding on to Jack's hand, and she's singing Come Josephine in My Flying Machine. I love that song. I um, played a little bit at the beginning of the review. And um, she's just trying to keep her mind, like, off the, the pain of, you know, before she's, I can't feel my body. And even her hair at this point is crystallized. It's frosted. So she turns her head and sees a flicker of light and she hears the voices are very distorted, of course, because, you know, Rose's body, you know, it's very cold and she can't feel her body. And she's been out. I don't know how long she's been. Excuse me. She's been out there on that uh, plank of wood. But.
So she sees the boat and then she tries to alert Jack. The whole time her hand has been holding his. She's like, there's a boat, Jack. Jack, there's a boat. And she's like trying to like nudge him awake. Like, Jack, look, there's a boat. And it's just it's so heartbreaking that he, he, he passed away. Like I said, I, he gave up his life for her. And it just, it does, it breaks my heart that they couldn't be together. And she just is saying, the guy with the spotlight and everything is just saying, is anybody live out there? And she sees the boat kind of turning and she's like, come back, come back, come back. You know, her voice is barely above a whisper, which is understandable because it's so cold. She finally realizes, because she kind of lays there for a minute, like, I don't want to let go of him. I don't want to let him go. And she realizes, no, she made a promise to Jack that she would do whatever she could to survive. And she does. She releases his hand, kisses his hand, says, I'll never let go. And lets him go, and he sinks into the water and she finally raises like okay I, I i gotta get i gotta get their attention and of course we remember the the guy with the um the whistle so she swims over to him and gets the whistle and starts blowing it and luckily the white star line employees in the boat do hear that and the guy's like come aboard and it's like, yeah, you're going to have to get to her, because, uh, yeah. Come up! <laughs> of her whistling as we come back to present day and just elderly roses you know eyes just remembering that moment and probably how how painful that just this whole story having to recall all of this and just that you know Jack didn't make it and you just see some of those people listening to the story are just crying and of course, Lewis explains that, you know, we never found anything on Jack. And Rose, of course, explains, like, well, you, you, you wouldn't. There's really nothing to go on other than, I mean, she says, I don't even have a picture of him. And he exists now only in my memory. And, of course, she kind of comes back to those that are waiting in rowboats for 
to be rescued and everything, um, Ruth and, and Molly and, of course, Cal, just, like, all they had was just to wait for an, um, wait to live, wait to die, wait for an absolution that was never going to come. Titanic sank from There were 20 boats floating nearby, <coughs> and only one came back. One. Six were saved from the water, myself included. Six out of 1,500. So she says 1,500 people went into the ocean, went into the water when the ship went down. And uh, what'd she say? There were 700 people in those boats and only one of those boats came back. She was one of six rescued from the water. Do see Cal with a bunch of other men uh, and of course that young girl that he saved with that lady and we see a man reaching out to Cal with a flask. You know, basically their way to keep warm. We see Molly with Ruth kind of clutching each other. We see Rose in a little uh, rowboat. She is wrapped in a flannel blanket. And, of course, we see... Is that the boat that they were hoping, like, four hours later would eventually get to them? The Car Carpania? Because we do see the guy uh, on the boat. He's waving, like, a flare smoke thing, like, letting the boat... Like, hey, we're here, we're here. See a couple boats there. That, uh, there's another... Um, boat there. I think that might be the Carpathia. I'll have to see. I think the name on the says it on the boat. Carpathia. Carpathia. I think that's what it Yeah, okay. Rose looks like she's got a little bit of color back into her. Her hair's a little bit brighter. Probably trying to get her body temperature up. Now, it looks like we do find a lot of the people that were saved here are all from like third class and steerage. We do see Cal has been rescued and he's on the boat and he's most likely looking for Rose, but the guy, um, one of the employees of the Carpathia, Carpathia tells him, you're not going to find any of your people here. This is mainly steerage because Cal, of course, is still dressed in his coat in his black suit jacket and white shirt and pants and all that stuff. So he definitely looks like he's come from first class. Of course, Rose is also on that ship and she kind of, she's got the blanket covering the sides of her face. So she does her best to kind of stay hidden. Sir, I don't think you'll find any of your people down here. It's all steerage. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
time I ever saw him. He married, of course, and inherited his millions. But the crash of 29 hit his interest hard, and he put a pistol in his mouth that year, Shit. or so I read. a mess right now um when rose sees cal on the boat um older rose narrates that that was the last time she ever saw him we do find out that of course he married he moved on from rose he inherited his millions and of course the crash of 29 hit his interest hard that year and he ends up committing suicide by putting a pistol in his mouth and she's like, well, or so I read that happened. Um, I don't think, now that I think about it, I don't think we have a movie about the crash of Wall Street. I mean, you probably, in those period pieces around that time, you'll hear things about it. But what if there were a, a, a historical piece of I could be wrong. For all we know, for all I know, maybe there is a movie out there like that. I really like period piece and historical fiction. I really, really do. Um, we see the Statue of Liberty. So she's arriving at New York, into New York. And, of course, someone has to take her name. He's like, can I get your name, love? And she says, Dawson. Rose Dawson. I like that she's honoring him by taking his last name. And think about it. Any identity that you had, you can just make a name up. You can do and start a new life. And I like that that's what she's doing here. Um, I feel horrible that some of those sur survivors that are on that ship, they're looking for their loved ones. Like, this lady's looking for her husband. Like, he had reddish-brown hair and, and a white beard. And this other lady's like, well, 
perhaps he's on another ship because, you know, he's going through the names of survivors that he's probably collected on their ship. And it's just, it's horrible to think, like, what if you are the only one left in your family? Like, your husband, your your children are gone, and it's just like... Or, or your siblings, or, 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 and your, or your parents are gone. It's just, my gosh. So, yeah, this is where Lewis says, we never found anything on Jack. You know, there's no mention of him. And, of course, Rose is like, well, no, there, there wouldn't be. Would there? Um, yeah. She's like, I don't even have a picture of him. He exists now. Only in my memory. And she also says, But now you know that there was a man named Jack Dawson, and he saved me in all the ways a woman could be saved. It's like, yes, he did save her, not just her life, but he gave her a life so vastly different from the one she would have ended up with. And of course, she even mentioned, like, this is the first time I've ever mentioned Jack Dawson out loud to anyone. And she looks at her granddaughter and says, I've never even mentioned him to your grandfather. She says, a woman's heart is an ocean of secrets. So we see Brock, Lovett, and Lizzie, uh, Rosa's granddaughter. He's like, you know, I was saving this for when I found the diamond. It's a cigar and he just tosses it overboard. So he's pretty much given up that there is no diamond. He's never going to find it. And Lizzie apologizes to Brock. Like, I'm sorry. It's like my grandmother couldn't help you. And he says he spent the last three years thinking of nothing but Titanic and finding that necklace. And I think, yeah, as he's saying, I never got it. I never let it in. As in... He only cared about finding that piece of jewelry. He didn't think about the tragedy. He wasn't thinking about the people who lost their lives. Until Rose shared her story about her experience on Titanic. And just, he's, you know, a person, he's hearing a personal account of someone who has been there. And at this point, it's like, the diamond doesn't even matter anymore. It's not important. We do now see elderly Rose in her nightgown. Her hair is long, flowing. Because before it was more kept up neatly, kind of like maybe in a bun or something like that. Oh, her toenails are painted. Because she puts her foot up on the railing there. And it's like, turns out, she has the diamond. She's had it this whole time. And now I think it's time to put the diamond back where it belongs. With the Titanic. How many of you, upon first viewing of this, were surprised that she even had the diamond? Because we cut back to Young Rose, yeah, Young Rose on that uh, on that rescue ship, and she looks down and puts her hand in her pocket, and out comes the diamond. It's been in the coat, though. I love how she just goes ah and just tosses it into the water. Now I like this a lot better than that alternate ending that I'm gonna go over in just a moment once the movie's over. Oh my gosh! We get to see what everything that she's done! All the things that she and Jack talked about and even the stuff that she didn't talk about. 
that or that they talked about doing and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And it's sad because she passes away on the ship. But I like that she got to tell her story. She got to bring Jack Dawson to life through her story and, and passed it on. You know, maybe Lizzie will meet someone and tell her her children the story of their great-grandmother and how she was a survivor on the Titanic and of Jack Dawson. Like, keep passing that story. Keep Jack's memory alive through, you know, the stories. So this looks like this could be Rose's... Maybe it could be... I don't know how many kids Rose had. We only know of her granddaughter, but maybe she had a son and a daughter. What if she had a son and named him Jack? Because we do see a lady there with two other... I think those are her, her kids. There's another... Hold on, there's another. Those could be her grandchildren or her children. Because I don't think... I don't see Rose in any of them. Uh, this photo with the four people in it. I'm guessing that's got to be like either her grandkids or her kids with their grandkids. Looks like Rose graduated high school or college. Because we do, I think we do see a black and white photo back in the back of her um, graduating. This is a gorgeous photo of her. This must have been one that she had gotten when she decided to become an actress. Because she's, oh, she's Looks like she even traveled the country, too, because I think we see her with, um, I'm not sure what country it is. I, mean, I could say India, but I'd be wrong. We do see her, I think we'll get to that photo in a minute. Looks like she went, ma like, marlin fishing, or she got, like, a shark or something, because, yeah. We see her on top of an elephant. This makes me think of Water for Elephants. We see, oh, she be, um... Flew in a plane. She looked... Oh, Amelia Earhart, girl. <laughs> it does look like she did travel to another country. Maybe that's where... Uh, well, that elephant looks like maybe it might be part of a circus, maybe? Wouldn't that be cool, kind of interesting, if Titanic's timeline matched up with um, that of Water for Elephants, which happened right around... Um, the just after the Great Depression, and or I think it was during the Great Depression actually, with Jacob Jankowski and Marlena and the Benzini Brothers Circus. I definitely want to cover Water for Elephants on this podcast because I love that movie. I saw it ten times in the theater. We do see her on a horse, one leg on each side, just like she and Jack talked about. There's a picture here. I'm trying to make out what exactly it. Oh, is that maybe where she took up pottery early on, like in her 20s or 30s or something? Because she's got her hands like out, like she's like forming like, so I think maybe that's where her love of pottery started. Oh, the roller coaster's behind her, where she's on the horse. So we go to a sleeping rose, and of course, most likely she did pass away, and we go to the ship of Titanic, and of course, everybody that passed away on the ship, they're all there, they're all, like, smiling at Rose, like, we've been waiting for you, and she, this is young Rose. She goes back to being her former self on the Titanic. 
when um, she was on the Titanic with Jack. And Jack, of course, is standing at the top by the clock, just like when she walked up to him and he said, do you want to go to a real party? So the title card, of course, for the last scene is A Promise Kept. And just like Jack said, you're going to die an old lady asleep in her bed, warm in her bed. Can you imagine if Jack in that moment was prophesizing the future for her? I remember this scene from the teaser trailer when I was in the theater. And I, I'll be the first to admit, I probably even mentioned this in the beginning of this review, that... I didn't know a whole lot about Titanic. Probably pretty much what I knew is what I learned from watching the movie. But I remember this scene, just this gauzy white, you know, the sunlight kind of filtering in through the um, the hallway here. Just the, the ruins. And then it just brightens up and just the floor is just immaculate. The, it's clean. And then, of course, we go into where the grand staircase is. I love how he opens the door like, we've been expecting you. We've been waiting for you. All right, there's Trudy. There's uh, Mr. Astor. There's Cora and her father. There's the violin guys. There's Tommy. We got Murdoch. We got Mr. Andrews on the steps. Fabrizio there at the bottom of the steps and the lady that he danced with she's walking up the stairs Jack's outreach hand to her and she's wearing this beautiful white dress and of course this is 17 year old Rose on the Titanic this is yeah he's wearing a beautiful necklace and dangly earrings and it's like they're reunited once again. It's said that their happily ever after had to happen in death, but... 
And they kiss and just everyone starts applauding. She's come home. She's... She's come home. Alright, well that was the movie. I hope you enjoyed the review. Now that the movie, of course, is over, I'm going to do a few little bits of trivia, uh, maybe a little goofs, and then I want to get into the deleted scenes. So the elderly couple seen hugging on the bed while water floods their room were the owners of Macy's department store in New York, Ida and Isidore Strauss, both of them whom died on the Titanic. Ida was offered a seat on a lifeboat but refused so that she could stay with her husband, saying, As we have lived together, so we shall die together. So, of course, uh, there was a scene that filmed that depicted this moment but was cut from the final version. Mrs. Strauss, who originally said, Where you go, I go, that inspired Rose's same line in the film. Basically, that you jump, I jump. When Jack is preparing to draw Rose, he says to her, over on the bed, uh, the couch. The line was scripted, lie on that couch. But Leonardo DiCaprio made an honest mistake, and James Cameron liked it so much that he kept it in. Which, I think that's good. I think that's funny. Due to the long theatrical run of the movie, Paramount had to send out replacement reels to theaters that had literally worn out their copies. Gloria Stewart played old Rose. She was only 86 at the time. Of course, she had... She was aged up with makeup to play Rose at 100. Of course, she didn't find this a pleasant experience. Who would, right? She died in 2010 at age 100. I can't believe it's been 10 years since she passed. James Cameron actually went on 12 dives to the real Titanic himself and found it an overwhelming emotional experience to actually see the sunken ship. During his first trip, he was so goal-oriented that he managed to film the shots he wanted, but as soon as he was back on the surface, he broke down in tears after finally realizing the magnitude of the historic tragedy that he had just witnessed. He ended up spending more time with the ship than its living passengers did. Oh, so the scene where Rose and Jack kind of, she goes to thank him, uh, it was actually Almost all ad-libbed, and also, um, oh, Cameron also credits Kate Winslet with writing the heart-wrenching, this is where we first met, line during the final sinking, as well as suggesting Rose spit in Kel's face, rather than, as scripted, jab him with a hairpin. According to Zane, they had to do so many retakes, he sort of went numb being spit in the face, and Winslet started using lube because there's saliva right now. <laughs> oh, God. One of the, okay, many of the core extras used for the movie took on characteristics of actual survivors. One scene where two little girls are loaded onto a lifeboat and the man says, it's only for a little while, is based on testimony from one of the girls who survived. The man also says in the scene, hold mommy's hand and be a good little girl. According to survivor, ter, to survivor Eva Hart, these were the last words her father said to her before the lifeboat she was in was lowered. Oh my god. September 1st, 1998, the film was released on VHS. I remember because I got off the bus that day and the movie, the VHS, remember I got the blue uh, full screen version, was sitting on the kitchen table in a Rite Aid bag. And I, as soon as I got home, like, I'm watching this right now. 
Rose laughs during the flying scene when Jack sings Come Josephina, My Flying Machine as if she recalls the song from before. This is because the deleted scene shows the two characters singing it as they come out of the third class dance. It was number one of the U.S. box office for a record 15 consecutive weeks from December 19, 1997 to April 2nd, 1998. The scene where Cal and Rose have a coffee and the scene where Cal has a tantrum and flips a table were ad-libbed by Billy Zane. Therefore, Kate Winslet's reactions were natural. Oh, oh boy! In the scene of Rose looking through the corridors for Jack, the water used was actually from the Pacific Ocean at the Baja, Baja California, Mexico set. The water was so cold that when Rose gasped, when she first dives into the water, it was actually Kate Winslet's genuine reaction to the frigid ocean. It explains why their lips turned blue and were purple. There was a Titanic survivor, Mil Milvina Dean, who was asked if she would like to attend the premiere, but she refused, stating that watching A Night to Remember, 1958, was painful enough. I haven't seen that one. I kind of would like to. So... I'm the King of the World, which was ad-libbed by Leonardo DiCaprio, was voted as the number four 100 Greatest Movie Lines by Premiere in 2007. The same was voted as the 100 movie quote by the American Film Institute. Kate Winslet was one of the few actors who was not allowed to wear a wetsuit during the water scenes. As a result, she got hypothermia and nearly quit the production. However, James Cameron persuaded her to stay. All right, so that's going to be it for the trivia. The trivia goes on for, like, days, and it's like, the goofs are like, eh. But I really want to get, I know, I think you guys want me to get to the deleted scenes. So, let's get to the deleted scenes. The first deleted scene is entitled, I'll Be the First, and it's of Rose and Cal. So this actually, if you think about it, is Trudy's scene, really. The um, lady who helps out Rose. Such, remember how I said, oh, Trudy's such a sweetheart. The scene pretty much starts with Rose talking about looking for a painting by Picasso. Cal's coming and saying, oh, Picasso something? He won't amount to anything. And what we get of the deleted scene here that we haven't seen is her taking a photo of a ballerina and look, trying to figure out where to put it. And Trudy's telling Rose about how everything is just so brand new for us. And how tonight when I slip between the sheets, I'll be the first. As in, she doesn't have to worry like, oh, someone slept in this bed before. Or someone slept in these sheets before. It's brand spanking new. She gets to break in those sheets, break in that bed. Yes, Trudy, girl, you deserve it. I love Trudy. We don't get much of her, but oh, I love her. <sighs> Cal always has to come in and ruin everything. <clears throat> You'll never be the first. Cal. No, kiss you on the side of the face. It's much easier getting. So, of course, yeah, like I said, Cal's got to come in and ruin the nice time between Rose and Trudy having their girl time. And he's like, well, tonight, when I crawl between the sheets, I'll be the first. As in, the first to be in Rose's bed with Rose. Like, you are not taking that girl's virginity ever. You will never be the first ever. And he, like, kind of like, uh, 
nods his head to Trudy like you leave, and he shuts the door. Of course, he comes up behind Rose and, like, puts his arms around her, and he starts talking about, oh, like, I'll be the first forever and ever. It's like, ugh, gross. And, of course, she, like, kisses him on the side of the head, like, like, ugh, I guess I gotta kiss you. Ugh. Now the next one is I Feel Trapped, which is where this is a scene leading up to Rose running down the deck just to where she was gonna, like, end and her, her life, her suffering, by jumping off the back, which luckily Jack comes in there. So, okay, so this is before she starts running. She actually goes to her room first. So it's almost like Rose is almost having a panic attack. She comes in calling for Trudy. Trudy's not there. She's taking up off her black gloves. She's trying to get, you know, her dress off, but of course she can't reach the back of it. So it's almost like, is she going to try to rip it from her body? I remember when she was running, her hair was down. And I think she might just yank the pins out of her hair. She's ripping off the jewelry, you know, the necklace, taking all the stuff out of her hair, the pins and whatnot. She starts going through her jewelry and just starts throwing stuff on the floor. It's almost like she's having a breakdown. From there, we do see her running towards the back of the ship. So this is Brock's Dilemma slash Rose's third class visit. So this is where it kind of starts with Cal, give, he's given Rose the necklace. He's saying there's nothing in this world that I would not deny you if you wouldn't deny me. And we cut back to old Rose kind of talking about how like the weight of it just in the necklace alone was just strangling her. As we see Rose, young Rose's hand close around the heart of the ocean, the heart of the ocean diamond, and we see her hand go from being a 17-year-old hand to being a 100-year-old hand. It was a cold stone, a heart of ice. After all these years, I can still feel it closing around my throat like dog collar. That's, hey, yeah. If you could have felt it, not just seen it. Well, that is the general idea here, Rose. Wait a second, I want to get something straight. <laughs> you were going to kill yourself by jumping off the Titanic? <laughs> He's so funny, he's eating like... All you had to do was wait two days. <laughs> Tell us more about the diamond. What did Hockley do with it after that? I'm afraid I'm feeling a little tired, Mr. Lovett. Would you like some more coffee? I'm just tired. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go to bed, can you give us something to go on here? Like, who okay. else had access to the safe? What about this love joy got in the valley? Did he have the combination? Really? I was going to say, I thought she, like, flipped him off or something. So, of course, yeah, she even mentioned, just like I mentioned, like, the dog collar. Like, like a joke chain. Like that necklace. And, uh... Of course, Lewis, who's like like eating a bag of like popcorn, on he's like, oh my gosh, let me get this wait 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 wait, let me get this straight. You were gonna jump off the the Titanic. All you had to do was wait wait two days. <laughs> and she also was saying like. Just imagine the weight and the feel of it, the necklace. And Brock, of course, he is so hungry to find this necklace. 
Ugh. It's almost like he sounds like one of those reporters. They're like, one more question, one more question. Like shoving a microphone into her face or something. But no. Um, she stands up and clearly it's like, no, I, I have to rest. He's like, no, who had access to the safe? Tell me about this love job to a guy. Did he have access? Where was the safe? And of course, Lizzie jumps in there like, look, she's tired. He even's like, hey, do you want more coffee? It's like, no, she needs to rest enough. She gets Rose into the wheelchair. When she goes through the doorway, I swear I thought I was going to see Rose, like, flick off Brock Lovett. I really thought that. So, of course, this is all about Brock's dilemma and just needing a few more days to kind of get through to, to Rose and everything and find out about the diamond. Yeah, he don't deserve that diamond. So, Bobby is telling them we're six days over as it is, $30,000 a day. It's costing to keep that crew there, to keep the ship operating and all that stuff. So, of course, while Bobby's saying, are you getting what I'm saying? The partners, basically, whoever's funding this expedition in search of this diamond, he's like, they've got the hand on the plug and they're starting to pull. And, of course... He's like, Bobby, or Brock's like, well, you tell the hand that I need a few more days. I'm so close. I just need a couple more days. And, of course, Lizzie over here is just like, you piece of shit. My grandmother is doing you a service by telling her story, and all you give a shit about is this fucking diamond. I'd be like, you know what? We're done here. You don't deserve to hear the end of the story. He even uses the term, I just gotta work her a bit more. And you just see Lizzie's face like, you piece of shit. So, yeah, Bobby says, I'll see about if I can get you two days. But you only get two. Of course, Brock sees Lizzie there. he's like, hey. And she's like, oh, don't you mean work me or something? As in, like, my grandmother. Brock's all like, look, I need your help. And she's like, I'm not going to help you browbeat my 101-year-old grandma. I came up here to tell you to back off. Good girl, you protecting your grandma. He's, like, kind of browbeating her the whole thing with, like, oh, three years of my life looking for this diamond, all these, this basically a three-ring circus. I have divers around the clock searching for this thing. He shows her, like, a little dink-ass tattoo like, see that? And she's like, what am I looking at? He's like, that's what my hand's going to be doing when I'm holding the diamond. <sighs> so he's, like, saying how your grandma's got to work with me to unlock, you know, her memory. And Lizzie's like, look, my grandmother contacted you. She's out here for her own reasons and in her own time. She's not working by your timetable, sir. And Brock's like, I, get, I imagine she wants to make peace with the past. And Lizzie, who maybe she hasn't believed like her mother is just making all this up. She, she's like, you really believe her? That she was there? And he's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. So of course we're going to get the initial build up to where she goes to apologize. Or not apologize to Jack. She wants to thank him for saving her life and rescuing her. The next day... I remember thinking how the sunlight felt, as if I hadn't felt the sun in years. 
love this. This is, we get to see the third class passengers. Okay, so this girl's name is Helga. She's sitting on the bench with Fabrizio. She says she really only needs, like, Hungarian. And her parents or grandpa, I can't tell what they are, um, are on the other bench on the other side. And, of course, he's like, do you speak a little English? And she doesn't really speak too, too much. But uh, it's like, trying to get her to say his name, Fabrizio. Um, we see a kid, like, trying to hit a rat or a mouse or whatever with his shoe. We see Jack with Cora, and she's kind of sitting by him. And he's letting her, like, play around with his his charcoal um, drawing pens and stuff like that. It's cute. Oh, Norwegian. Uncle Jack, that's adorable. Oh, she did have a mother there. I thought it was just her and her dad. <coughs> but everyone's all looking at her, Rose, as she's coming down. Like, oh, we don't see the likes of you down here very often. All those kids are like... Lifting the, they're all lifting their caps, the guys are. <coughs> ah! Hey, look. Turn the look. scene here we have is Rose's dream and she and Jack are just kind of walking along the deck just talking about their dreams and what they want and Jack is like you know the thing about Paris is I wanted to be able to and being on the streets is just I wanted to put that down on paper and I love how Rose identifies because you know they're both you know he's an artist and she wants to be, she just, I want to, like, just toss away the shackles. I just want to go out. I want to run away. I just want to live. Yeah, for him, Jack, living on the streets, like you said, is, like, trying to put it down on paper. It's, like, just trying to immerse yourself and just get to transcribing what you're seeing on paper. Almost like that way someone could see it through experience Paris through, you know, your eyes, or in this case, Jack's eyes. Yeah, she wants to run away and become an artist. 
She says, uh, living in the garret. What? I'm not sure what that is. Poor and free. Of course, Jack's like, you wouldn't last two days. There isn't any hot water and no caviar. So, of course, he's kind of throwing it like, oh, you're a rich girl. You wouldn't survive a day or two in Paris without your luxuries of hot water and caviar. And yeah, there's a sweet uh, street sweeper outside. So, ugh, I hate these. Quinn hates them too, my cat. She like zip up. She's upstairs for the majority of the day anyway until like close to five when Jeremy comes home. So I'm kind of curious. Is Rose gonna kind of take offense? So like, oh, that's all you see me as some rich girl. Like I, I bet I could. She could slum it. She could do it. I bet she could. So yeah, she's like, I hate caviar and I hate people telling me what dreams I should and shouldn't have. So and she goes on to explain to Jack how everyone expects her to be this delicate little flower. And she's like, but I'm not. I'm strong and I'm sturdy like a horse. She tells him how, you know, I'm here to do something, not just sit around and be decorative. Which just by looking at her, you look at that girl, her man, no, no she is not a delicate flower by any means. She is, she wants to get in it, you know, she wants to experience things, which there's nothing wrong with that. Just sucks that her lifestyle doesn't allow for her to cut loose and have fun once in a while. And she's like, Jack, you see these hands? They were made for work. And right away, some guy's like, oh, do you want some tea? And she looks like she's going, no, I don't want any tea. He's like, no. And I love Jack just starts laughing like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she's just saying how there's something in her. Like, she should be an artist or a sculptor. And it's like, yeah. Remember how I talked about of when I went through, like, those pictures at the end of the movie? And not to mention, she's still sculpting at 100 years old. But we see in that picture, her hands are around, like, on a, um, a potter's wheel creating stuff. And I, just, I love how... I just, I love this. I love her character. I love Jack's character. And she even wants to be, you know, a dancer. And she talks about someone named Isabella Duncan. I don't know who she is, but... the Oh, yeah, the painting with the ballerina that she hung up in the sitting room. Well, is that the sitting room? I don't think. I think it was her room. Um, but, yeah, and it just shows later on. She was also working as an actress, so she was out there doing whatever came to mind. Like, you want to be a dancer, be a dancer. You want to be an actress, be an actress. You want to, you know, create art and, and pottery, do it. Just, you want to ride an elephant. You want to ride a roller coaster, ride a horse. So many possibilities. They're endless for her to experience life. I bet anything. I bet she probably had uh, skydiving on her bucket list. Not that she had a bucket list, but I bet that would be up there. She's pretty adventurous, this girl. Oh my gosh! This is like her pose in that picture. Because we got a guy there who's like running what looks like it could be an early 1912 film camera. And she's talking about wanting to be an actress. And she grabs like one of the... Um, one of these, like, uh, poles or pillars or whatever. And she's got her hand, she's got her head tilted. She's got the back of her hand kind of up towards the side of her head. That's the, that's the picture. That's the picture. This is the pose. 
I love going through these scenes. I love this. This is just so fun. And I hope you guys are getting a kick out of it, too. Well, I didn't care too much for all that Dadaism and Cubism. It just had no heart to it. I like some of it. Really? Yes. Well, Paris, for me, was more about living on the streets and, and trying to put it on the paper. You know what I mean? You know, my dream has always been to just run away and become an artist. Living in a garret, poor but free. In the last two days, there's no hot water and hardly ever any caviar. I happen to hate caviar. And I hate people telling me what dreams I should and shouldn't have. I'm sorry. You're right. Well, all right. Everybody expects me to be this delicate little flower, which I'm not. I'm sturdy. I'm strong as a horse. I'm here to do something, not just sit around and be decorative. You see these hands? They were made for work. Care for something, miss? Would you like some tea or some bullion? No! <laughs> There's something in me, Jack. Like a dynamo. I feel it. I don't know what it is, whether I should be an artist or a sculptor or... I don't know. A, a, a dancer, like... Like Isadora Duncan, a wild pagan spirit, or a moving picture actress. <laughs> oh, moving picture actress. <laughs> and, uh, you know, honestly, a couple of these, like when she goes down to third, I think that would have been cool if they'd have kept that in. Because we kind of get to see these, we get to see Fabrizio with Helga. We get to see. Jack spending time with Cora, so he kind of developed that relationship a little bit. So when he's dancing with her and then he goes to dance with Rose, you see that Cora's a little jealous. He's like, you're still my best girl, Cora. So we kind of see that cute, you know, fun relationship there, kind of like that connection. So we're not just, oh, he's just meeting this girl for the... Because that's the, in the movie, that's the only scene we get of them. It's like, well, how did he develop this? repertoire or whatever you want to call it with this young girl and I think it's it's cool you know and like I said we get to see Fabrizio with the girl that I think she's he's dancing with her at this this party here in the next scene and even this this Rose's dreams I like that we got a little bit of insight into Rose and I think maybe they just wanted to cut it and, you know, keep, like, the other scene, like, was so much better or something. But I'm like, I don't know. I liked it. But I think maybe since they cut it, then it's a surprise when we see her, you know, we find, you know, she was an actress. I mean, Lewis says that at the beginning of the movie. But also, we get to see, we heard them talk about the horse riding, the roller coaster, and this and that. <clears throat> But it just, I like just, we get to see some of Rose's spirit come out. And just her kind of telling Jack, like, I don't like it when people tell me that I can't, you know, what I can dream and what I can't. And it's almost like when he said, oh, you wouldn't survive two days because there's no caviar and there's no hot water. She kind of looks at him like, you don't know me. You're just a, like presuming because I'm in first class that I like those things. So this scene here, 
just before they cut out of the dancing, we are going to see Jack and Rose singing Come With Me, Come Josephine in My Flying Machine. Come Josephine in my flying machine and it's up she goes, up she goes, something about on a beam, in the air she goes, where? Depart. Here we are. Right. I don't want to go back. Who would? cute little scene of them singing Come Josephine in My Flying Machine. And of course, you know, he walks her to the first class entrance and this is where they said they have to depart. And she's like, I don't want to go back. And I'm like, who would, right? After this excitement that she had, I wouldn't want to go back either. So they start, you know, looking out at the stars and the night sky. And Right before Jack says it, in my mind, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of hear them kind of talk about their their fathers? And all of a sudden, Jack is like, yeah, because uh, they notice a shooting star. And Jack's like, yeah, my pop said whenever you see a shooting star, it's a soul going off to heaven. I like that analogy. I really like that analogy. And I thought there, like, maybe she mentioned something about that her dad used to say to her. I mean, she didn't, but... And you just see it in her her eyes and her... She wants so badly to break free of this life that she's chained to. And she asks him, like, oh, aren't you... Shouldn't we make a wish? And he kind of looks at her confused, like, why? But then he's, uh, he says, well, what would you wish for? And she just looks at him, and I'm like, oh my god, you're making a kiss. And she's like, something I can't have. And you just see him look at her like he's understanding what she's saying. Basically, she wants Jack and she knows that she can't have that life. 
right now. And of course, after she says that, she kind of puts a hand, like, just below his shoulder and says goodnight and leaves him there by himself. The next scene we have, of course, is the extended scene of sneaking into first class. Remember that exercise room that Jack and Rose are, like, talking in? Where she says, it's not up to you to save me. And she's like, don't come find me. Or don't look for me anymore. Um, we actually see people using the exercise equipment. A lady is actually using one of, I think it's the bike. Oh, this is the uh, tour that they're giving. Okay. So I'm going to hit that bag. Who's going to hit that bag? That, that um, speed bag just above that guy's head. The electric horse. Wow. Is that like one of the... That makes me think of like those um, riding ball type... There's a term for it. I can't even think of it right now, but it's like... You see them like maybe back in the day, like in bars, like you'd get on this machine that's set up to be like a bull and you're supposed to try to stay on. Is that what this thing's supposed to be? The electric camel? Oh, that must be that thing over there. Uh, of course, the rowing machine. Yeah, Cal's like, reminds me of my Harvard days. I'm like, oh, Cal, gloat much? I can't believe this guy thinks that Ruth is going to get on that rowing machine. Like, hey, care to try your hand? This is her new rowing machine. She, I think she looks at him like, oh, you must be joking. I am not going to get on that. Who's this other lady with them? Who's, she must be part of the tour. And she's like, oh, don't be absurd. I can't imagine a skill. I would need less. And I'm just, it just popped into my head just now. The rowing machine. The rowboat. I believe there is a deleted scene coming up called, like, Rowing School or something. So I'm guessing, like, Molly Brown's going to teach, like, everyone, like, grab an oar, start rowing. And I, th I wonder if we'll get a call back to that. Ah, maybe I should have taken that guy up on that offer. So it almost seems like this rowing machine is almost kind of semi-foreshadowing of what's to come. So they're going to move on to their tour from the exercise room to the bridge. And remember, I just said, I wonder if someone's going to hit that speed bag. Sure enough, Rose hits it. Uh, she gives him one good punch. I'm like, yes, girl. Looks like Fabrizio and Tommy are trying to talk Jack out of going to see Rose. Like, she's a goddess, but she's pretty much out of your league. You need to forget her and move on. She's a goddess among mortal men, there's no denying. But she's in another world, Jack. You forget her. She's at the close in the door. Just forget her. Forget it. That's... He's not being logical, I tell you. No, one is illogical. So I think that Tommy and Fabrizio were like trying to be a distraction because, of course, being third class, you can't be up on the third, uh, the first class deck. So while the guy's showing those two away, Jack is able to get up to first class. And steal that jacket and coat. I mean jacket and hat. Alright, the next one is going to be Extended Escape from Lovejoy. So this guy's supposed to be a valet. Like a valet, whatever. 
And it's like, gosh, he's pretty tough for a valet. Are you sure he's not a cop? And of course, Ross is like, I think he might have been at one time. Well, the way that guy handles himself, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a cop or detective or private investigator or something to that effect. Oh, okay, so now we get it. Cal's father hired Lovejoy to keep his, as Rose says, little boy out of trouble. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was there pretty much to make sure Cal got back with his wallet when he went through uh, some bad areas of town, I guess. So, honestly, that scene, escape, extended scene, uh, Escape from Lovejoy, really was not all that different other than we learn why Lovejoy was hired. That's pretty much the bulk of that. Other than that, the scene pretty much plays out exactly as it did in the movie. Now we're going to go into the boiler room, where they share a kiss. Gosh, I think this is like their third kiss, isn't it? Because there's the one on the end of the sh on um the ship with the Come Josephine and My Flying Machine. There is the one where he hands her his drawing and they kiss. And then I guess this one will be the third kiss. We also see, aside from Jack and Rose kind of running through the boiler room, we go back to the smoking room where we got a couple guys placing bets on how early Titanic will get into New York. One is saying Tuesday, 50 bucks. Another one's saying like 100, 150. Cal's checking his pocket watch. Of course, Jack's like, hey, don't mind us. Just coming through. Keep up the good job. You guys are doing awesome, basically. This is a real steamy kiss, and I'm not just saying that because steam is just enveloping them as... He stops and pulls her in for... This is a really hot, juicy, steamy kiss. And I'm talking major tongue action here. Wow. Someone needs to hose these two down. <laughs> I mean, things get even steamier when we get to the car scene. Although, like I said, this, these are just deleted scenes here. So, but dang! Nothing says romance like making out in a boiler room, huh? <laughs> Don't know! So the next, of course, is going to be the wireless room slash Californian. I'm guessing this could be a lot of iceberg warnings coming in. And just other ships are saying, hey, we know kind of where your direction is, letting you know ahead of time there are icebergs. You need to kind of take uh, note of that and do whatever you need to do to avoid a situation. Oh, these are like, um, what are they? Um, maybe passengers that just want, um, because the one guy's reading them. I guess they're like notes from the passengers just saying, oh, once we get to New York, I want this, I want that. This guy's, oh, get a load of this one. I want, this guy here wants his private train to meet him. What? la di da Oh, I know. Okay, because he kind of shoves it with uh, a bunch of other notices from passengers, basically just trying to set up people's arrival times. Like, oh, make sure this person gets into the hotel. Make sure this person's got a cab waiting for them or a carriage or whatever. 
And it's like they're just trying to do get all that information telegraphed. Like, oh my god. And this guy comes in with a, a shit ton more of requests from passengers. Like, damn! The one guy's like, you'll be up all bloody night on that lot. And the guy comes in with more and hands it to him. Like, here you go. I was like, oh, you're joking. Do I look like I'm joking? Ugh. You gotta type all that shit. Well, not type it out, but you know the Morse code tap, tap, tap thing? Yeah. Okay, so... Here's basically just them not taking this stuff seriously. Like, oh, it's that idiot on the Californian. And, of course, the other guys say, tell him to sod off. Basically, tell him to fuck off. He's basically like, I'll do better than that. Keep out. Shut up. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure the Californian's like, well, then you're on your own, Titanic. Don't ask us to help you know, if you have a situation. This is kind of interesting. We do see close-up of the little tap-tap-tap and the little um, electricity going back and forth. Like, oh, I'm working. Like, <sighs> Now we go to the Californian and he's taken off his headset. He's like, arrogant bastard. He's like, I tried to warn, warn him about the ice and he tells me to shut up. <sighs> well, nuts to you then, basically. So, yeah, he's... Like, this guy's basically just telling me to fuck off. Well, Alright, that's it. I'm done for the night. And he pretty much logs off. And you just see as they step out on the Californian deck, that ship, you see... It is like a minefield with all these icebergs. It's just like all around. Like, holy shit. It's like the guy's just trying to do his job and warn him about the icebergs. And it's like, Titanic, you should have taken this shit seriously. You and your unsinkable, well, sinkable now, ship. Alright, so as far as the Californian scene and the iceberg warnings, we kind of got a bit of that with just them coming into the cabin saying, oh, we got another telegram about, you know, warnings of icebergs. So I really don't think that we needed this extra scene, which is probably just, well, they cut it. The next deleted scene is called... How about a little ice? And this is right after they hit that iceberg. And we see Molly asking for a little bit of ice. As you can see in the windows there, we're passing that iceberg. Poor Molly hanging out by herself. And I'd hang out with her. I would so hang out with Molly Brown. So it's kind of a one and done scene as far as just Kathy Bates get in for like comedic line. How about some ice? As the ship passes the iceberg that you can see in the window there. The next one is flirting with ice, which I'm guessing has to do with Jack and Rose. So Jack's kind of leaning over the side of the ship. He's like, well, I don't see anything. Looks like we just kind of missed it a little bit. And of course, she's like, well, could it have damaged the ship? And of course, Jack's like, well, it didn't seem like much of a bump. But then again, they're only thinking surface level of the iceberg. They're not thinking about what's below the surface level. Oh my gosh, Rose is pulling the oldest trick in the book where she has a little bit of ice and she puts it down Jack's back, down his shirt. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I have never, I, I swear, I have never done that before. Never. I don't think anyone's ever done it to me, but I have been at a family gathering where somebody did that to somebody else. 
the when he says, I think we're all right and turns away, this is where Rose grabs a little bit of ice and, like I said, puts it down his shirt. <laughs> Oh, he's going to get in her bag. Yeah, he's like, all right, you're going overboard. <laughs> and he tries to try to lift her. <laughs> so the next one is called the first SOS. And I'm guessing, I'm just going to, I'm going to give my prediction now. I think they're going to try to hit up the Californian with the SOS, the CQD, distress signal. And I think they're going to tell him, well, you can fuck right off. Because even ignoring us, you're on your own. That, I feel that's how this is going to play out. I really, really do. Like, oh, uh-huh, yeah, you hit an iceberg. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Or maybe they're not, the person on the California isn't even at their station. Like, yeah, they signed off for the night. Yeah. Okay, so... The captain says CQD, which is the distress signal. We're going down by the head. Immediate assistance. So when the captain leaves, the other guy comes in and says, Hey, you know, we should try that SOS. That new SOS. And he's like, you know, I mean, it may be our only chance to use it. So I guess they go with SOS. Well, why don't you just do CQD and then SOS? Maybe that might be confusing. I don't know. The next one, of course, is May panics. Of course he does, because he thought his ship was unsinkable. So, yeah, Ismay panics. Like, oh my gosh, we gotta get everyone out of here! He goes, starts yanking on the rope of the of the, ro- of the uh, lifeboat, and some guy has to pull him away. Like, what the hell are you trying to do? Drown the bottom bloody lot of us? And he's like, do you know who I am? And, of course, the guy's like, Yes, you're a passenger. I'm, I'm, I'm a bloody officer, so get out of my way. Of course, Ismay apologizes profu- profusely. Molly helps someone into the boat, and Rose sees a woman crying. She doesn't want to leave her husband. This is Molly Brown's rowing school. So yeah, pretty much uh, Molly is in the rowboat. You got... Um, <laughs> They're trying to get away from the boat. They're in the rescue boat. And, of course, the person who's in charge of this lifeboat is all like, Come on, you're not rowing evenly. And Molly's like, What's the matter, Sonny? You never rowed a boat before? And he's like, No, ma'am. Oh, my good golly, Miss Molly. (laughs) They got people on there. Do do any of these guys that were on the ship, did they even know how to swim? I think you need to know how to row a boat in case of an emergency. But then again, it's the unsinkable ship. Don't worry, you can't swim. That's not a problem. You're not going to go into the ocean. Oh, you don't know how to row a boat? That's fine. Don't worry about it. You're not going to have to be in a lifeboat. So she's, give me that or I'll show you how it's done. I'm sure the guy's like, hey, ma'am, you want to take over? Because you do a really good job. Yeah, Molly gets right in there, and she just goes straight to rowing. It's like, dang, girl, you know what you're doing. Next deleted scene, Irish hospitality. Looks like it's just going to be an extended scene of Rose and Jack, like, breaking down that, that door. And the guy's like... What do you think you're doing? That's White Star Line property. You'll have to pay for that. And they're like, shut up. 
Yes, shut up indeed. Okay, here we go. This is where the blanket comes in. Because Jack is, like, grabbing those metal um, accordion gates and just like, Sir! Sir! Can anyone hear me? You gotta open up these gates! It's flooding down here! And this is where a nice lady from third class, you know, all these people are from third class, and she's like, here, you need put this on you, you know, to co keep yourself warm and cover yourself. She puts on that uh, that blanket on Rose. I'm like, okay, so that's where she got the blanket. I would, excuse me, I always thought it was Jack. I, I mean, we don't see him put the blanket on, but at least now we know Irish hospitality here. Oh, yeah, and uh, a guy passes a flask to Rose. Like, here you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, could you open this up? Sir, it's flooding down here. Can anybody hear me? Can somebody help us? It's flooding down here. Let us up there. Ooh, yeah, good stuff. Cheers. Yeah, Jack also takes a little nip of the flask there as they uh, start uh, going. They gotta, they gotta get out of third class. They gotta get out of there. So the next one, of course, is the one that was talked about in the trivia with um, was it, was it Ida, Ida Strauss, um, that uh, she and her husband didn't want to be separated, so she declined going on the rowboat. Yeah, the next deleted scene here is with, um, is it Ilsa or Ida Strauss? The scene that was mentioned in the trivia that they had cut. You know, the couple that's lying in the bed that, as the water comes in? Yeah, this is that couple. She doesn't want to get on the lifeboat. She doesn't want to be separated from her husband, who she says they've been together for 40 years. Oh, no. Please, Ida, get into the boat. No! <laughs> We've been together for 40 years. And where you go, I go. Don't argue with me, Isidore. You know it does no good. Oh, looks like we have a farewell to Helga scene with Fabrizio. Oh, this is gonna be sad. So this is sad. You know, Fabrizio is trying to get Helga and her family like, come with us. We're gonna try to get to a um a lifeboat. And he's saying how it's my destiny to go to America. Come with me. And she looks back at her father and he's like, nine, like, no, no. And she and Fabrizio kiss. And it just, it's sad. It's like, I guess they just say their goodbye there. She's going to stay with her parents. And he grabs her hand like, come on, come on. And she's like, no, I, I can't. I had to stay with my family. And he says, I will never forget you. Come on, Jack. It's better, it's better. Everyone, 
You come with me now. I'm lucky. It's my destiny to go to America. Please. <laughs> So this is a relationship that I would have loved if we could have ex uh, explored it, like the, the deleted scene with him, like talking to her and trying to get her to pronounce his name. And this scene, it just, I get that it had to be cut because the movie was already over three and a half hours, or three hours, 15 minutes anyway. But I would have gladly cut some other scenes out to make room for these. I really, really would have. All right, the next scene is Boat 6 will not return. So I'm guessing it's going to be the one that Ruth and Molly are on. I do see Ruth actually pulling on the oar with um, Molly. We do see the captain calling back boat six, which is their boat. And Molly's like, okay, we got to go back. And the guy who's like saying, like, no, no, we're not going to go back. The suction's going to pull us down. And Molly's like, we have so much room. And this guy is just a selfish prick. I mean, I get it. In a, in a way, he's like, no, no, it's up to them to do what they're going to do for themselves. He says, it's our lives now, not theirs. Like, you s <sighs> Somebody's knocked that guy into the water. He, he's pretty much throwing his weight around saying, I'm in charge of this boat, madam. So we go back to the boat. We see the captain still calling back boat six. They're not going to come back. So Now we're going to the exercise room. We have, are these White Star Line employees that are just riding the exercise bikes? What's up with this? This is all first class, just hanging out in the exercise room. Okay. One guy who I guess was giving the tour to Cal, Ruth, and Rose of the exercise room is now refusing to wear a life jacket. And he's like, oh, it'll just slow me down. It'll impede my stroke. And, of course, it's like, it is 700 miles to shore. The guy's letting him know that. What is this guy? This is like, um, what the heck was his name? Aster something. What? He's got like a pen knife or an exacto knife, and it's like he's taking it to the life uh, jacket. What exactly is he doing? Like removing the padding? I'm confused. The padding is probably what's going to keep you afloat. Why are you trying to remove it? Hi, we get the cook. The one that I think falls off the back of the ship, doesn't he? He's drinking some, a pint of something. I'm guessing they've been instructed to throw, like, the recliner, the lounge chairs, the patio furniture, whatever you want to call it, into the, like, maybe to lighten, maybe to make the deck less cluttered as people are coming to and throw, to and fro. I don't know. So I definitely could see where that scene could have been cut because we kind of already get an abbreviated scene of that with Molly saying, we got to go back. What's wrong with you? That's your men out there. And of course, the guy's saying, yeah, we're going to have one last person on this rowboat or this lifeboat if you don't shut that hole in your face. So we kind of get that. And he's just saying, like, if we go back, they're going to swamp the boat and all that. So we get that pretty much in the scene. 
The next one is called Release of the Hounds, and I'm kind of nervous. Like, does that mean those dogs that we saw, like those two or three dogs that we saw are going to be thrown? They're, if they're going to be thrown off the side of the ship, or are they going to be put into a... I don't see those dogs going into a lifeboat. I see someone throwing them over the side, as in Release the Hounds. And that makes me nervous. Those poor dogs don't deserve to go that way. Not the hu- the people don't either, but not the dogs. Right, we got three dogs. They're just running. They're like, Ugh. those poor dogs. Who do they even belong to? Oh, this little this little Frenchy dog. Oh, this little French bulldog. Oh, or is that a pug? I can't. I think it's a French bulldog. Okay, so we just saw like the four dogs just running for their lives. I don't know. We don't find out what happens to the dogs. Whether they go overboard, whether they drown, I don't know, I don't know. But at least it didn't, it wasn't a scene of them throwing the dogs over the ship. Like, oh, I got these dogs out of here, or something terrible like that. Next one is called A Husband's Letter, so I'm gonna say maybe some guy is like, if you see my wife, give her this letter. I don't, that's my, that's what I'm guessing. So this guy is hoping that Rose will deliver this letter to his wife in Des Moines, Iowa. She's celebrating a birthday. This guy's like, oh, she celebrated her 50th birthday. And it's like, oh, you're not going to believe that, of course. You're going to think she's 35. And people are like, oh, is that your daughter? No, no, she's my wife. It's like, Okay, <laughs> like we're in the middle of a panic and the sing- <laughs> the ship's going down and you want me to deliver a letter to your wife since you couldn't be there on her birthday? Uh-huh. Well, maybe, then again, maybe he had like business somewhere or something like that. He had to go on a business trip. He's like, well, I'll take the Titanic back. Granted, it's going to be docking in, well, it's not going to be, but it was going to be docking in New York. And isn't that quite a ways from Iowa? I don't know. I can see why this scene had to be cut. If you save, would you please get this to my wife in Des Moines, Iowa? She just celebrated her 50th birthday, and I. Uh, you're not going to believe that, of course. You're going to think she's 35. Everybody does. They say, Is that your daughter? I say, No, that's. that's I'm just lucky. We're going to get to the next scene, which is Jack and Lovejoy fight. Remember when you saw the ship, like, breaking in two, and you see Lovejoy and his side of his face is all, like, bloody and everything? Well, that is where this scene comes in. So, Lovejoy is kind of searching around the dining area. This scene is, like, five minutes long, and it's just, like... Jack and Rose are kind of scrambling on the ground, trying to hide. So, what the heck? Lovejoy finds Rose cowering there, points the gun at her and says, I've been looking for you, miss. And it's like, are you going to shoot Rose? But luckily, Jack comes up from behind and tackles him to the ground. He ends up putting Lovejoy's head through a glass window. So he and Jack are... They're punching each other out. And I want to play this here as, of course, Jack gets Lovejoy good as he gut punches him and says, Compliments of the Chippewa Falls Dawson's. Compliments of the Chippewa 
scene between um, Aster and Guggenheim. He's looking for his young wife, Madeline, who's clearly knocked up, um, wants him to look for her dog. I don't know which one of the four that we saw was hers, but yeah. So another clip is the guy who's running the uh, Morse code station, the SOS, is saying, I'm not going, and his partner's like, hey, you're crazy, you're mad, let me at least put this life jacket on you. He's trying and trying to get a hold of somebody other than the Californian who's going to be like four hours late. The next deleted scene we have is Cora's fate, which is going to be very, very sad. We see Cora with her mom and dad, and of course, they're going up a stairwell that does have those metal gates in front of it as the water rises. And this is horrible. The next scene we have is an extended scene of Jack and Rose in the water. So, yeah, I kind of figure somebody might be coming over to try and see if they can get on it. On the um, piece of wood that Rose is on. And Jack kind of puts his hand up like, no, there's only enough room for this lady. This guy's like, at least let me try or I'll die soon. Like, he, I'm sure Jack's like, look, I've tried it and only one person can fit on it. So, yeah. Just enough for this lady. We'll push it under. <laughs> Let me try at least, or I'll die soon. We'll die sooner if you come any closer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I see. Good luck to you then. God bless. <laughs> is the guy um, having women and children transferred over, you know, they want to make room to get more people. One of which is not actually a woman, but it looks like a teenager who just was disguised as a woman. He's like, wait, 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 wait. And he just looks at him like, how dare you? He's like, get over there. And kind of shoves this kid down. I kind of wonder, I wouldn't be surprised if some guys, like, tried to dress up like ladies so they could get on one of the rowboat or one of the lifeboats. I keep going on a rowboat, lifeboat. So we do see this one is entitled Chinese Man Rescue, and this is the guy I believe who was down below, um, who was trying to translate the um, the sign on the wall to find out where exactly on the ship he was. So in this one, we do actually see. The guy being pulled into the rescue boat. We see the guy who's in charge just saying, wrap him in blankets, keep him warm. And now we're going to move on to the extended uh, Carpathia scene when Rose has been rescued. She's on the boat. So I'm wondering maybe we get some more details into what happened, stuff like that. I'm trying to think if this is new footage as they're lifting Rose up onto the Carpathia. You see a lot of um, 
non-audio dialogue is women are asking about their husbands. Like, are they on the boat? Maybe they're on another ship. And we see when they lift Rose up, she immediately collapses into this um, lady employee's arms. Like, which I can imagine she's exhausted. We see Ismay, he's up there on the boat, of course. It's a mixture of maybe some first class, but you also have um, third class as well. So as Ismay's walking through this um, crowd of people, everyone's just looking at him with accusing eyes, like, you piece of shit. You said this sh our, the Titanic was unsinkable. It's like, we're going to sue your ass. Surprisingly, they don't like, gang up on him and like, throw him overboard. Like, you're going to sleep with the... We're going to feed you to the sharks. You see them kind of helping Rose, like put another blanket around her shoulders, offer her something warm to drink, and she's kind of just numb at this point, to the point where um, one of the um, employees of the Carpathia has to like kind of open the blanket a little and like kind of push the uh, the soup or the hot drink into her hands. Like, no, you have to drink, miss. We need to get your body temperature back up. Oh, there's Ruth. Okay. Of course, you know she's looking for her daughter. So yeah, I'm going to play this clip where Cal thinks he sees Rose and he runs right up to her. Rose. in the scene that's actually played in the movie kind of looking and it's like you need to cover your face up because he's looking for you and she knows that and of course we get to how he married of course inherited his millions and of course the crash of 29 hit his interest hard he put a pistol in his mouth that year or so I read Oh, we've learned a little more than just that. Oh, my gosh. I'm playing this. Oh, my gosh. Because she says his children fought over the scraps of what was left over, like hyenas. Damn. So his kids are just as pieces of shit as he was. Greedy little bastards. His children fought over the scraps of his estate like hyenas. Or so I read. <laughs> Oh, that was the added okay part where she said his children fought over scraps of what was left over of his estate like hyenas, or so I read. So it's it, it's kind of interesting how, like I said, that <laughs> his children were just as ruthless, selfish, and spoiled as, and as he was. My guess is he probably gave his kids everything, and they expected no less when he committed suicide and killed himself. And of course we get the scene where the guy is going up to her asking for her name and she says Dawson, Rose Dawson. And she's at, here's another added part of dialogue where she's like, can you exchange one life for another? She talks about how a caterpillar turns into a, blo a, 
a butterfly and she's holding the butterfly pin and she says well if a mindless insect can do it why couldn't I so basically she's pretty much talking about how she can start fresh and anew with a new life a new identity and live the life that she wants to live the life that she and Jack talked about and she says was it any more unimaginable than the sinking of the Titanic and then this is where Lewis comes in with how we never found anything on Jack. There's no record of him at all. Can you exchange one life for another? A caterpillar turns into a butterfly. If a mindless insect can do it, why couldn't I? Was it any more unimaginable than the sinking of the Titanic? And of course, the last deleted scene, the alternate ending. Looks like everyone's having a party here as far as, like, let's get off this dredge boat, let's get home. Someone's like, hey, maybe next time. They even have a grill going. It's like a big old party. This is so weird. It totally offsets the movie. It's like a nine minute long deleted scene. And they're playing music like from 1990s. I don't even know what this song is. You got some people kind of dancing. It's like, okay, this just feels wrong. And just not in tune with the Even present day just feels weird. I'm going to play this. Listen to this song they got playing. This is, um, <laughs> this is weird. Lizzie comes down to f find Brock Lovett. She's like, hey, come to the party. I like getting drunk and have been known to dance. It's like, what? Wow, Lizzie, we are seeing a different side of you. <laughs> so is this like them maybe going to hook up or what is, this is just weird. <laughs> I can see why they scrapped this ending. It's like completely out of left field. Now the scene kind of goes like any other, well any other, it goes like you see elderly Rose walking to the end of the ship by the railing and she's got the hope dust. Why do I keep calling it the hope dust? <laughs> Heart of the ocean, whatever. <laughs> and this is where Lizzie sees her Nana stepping up onto the railing and she's probably like, no, Nana, don't jump. Oh my God. Jesus. She's not gonna jump. Chillax. <laughs> she's fine. Nana, wait, no. What? Don't come any closer. Oh, come on. This is weird. I'll drop it. <coughs> oh my gosh, you had it the whole damn time? You had it the entire time? Of course I did. <coughs> oh, being so poor was being so rich. <coughs> but every time I thought about selling it, I thought of Cal. And somehow, I made it without his help. <coughs> Holy shit. Look, bros. 
I don't know what to say to a woman who tries to jump off the Titanic when it's not sinking and then jumps back on when it is. <laughs> but I'm dealing with logic here, I know that. Please, think about this for a second. Oh, I've thought about this for years. And I've come all the way here to put it back where it belongs. In the ocean. Wait. With the Titanic. Just let me hold it in my hand. Please. Oh my gosh, his eyes are so huge. Look at just once. Bugging out. Eh. For a split second. <laughs> He's gonna take that and run with it. There, you get to hold it in your hand for a split second. Zoop! You look for treasure in the wrong place, Mr. Lovett. <laughs> Only life is priceless. And making each day count. Say goodbye. run to her and she does a stop don't come any closer I'm like come on why are we calling it back it just it the fact that she had the necklace the whole time and she says that she didn't you know she had it she could have you know cashed it in but then again I thought he said that Cal took out an insurance thing for it or you know reported it stolen um, and I, I, I swear it was like on another podcast that reviewed this movie that said like if she'd have done that, would she have gotten in trouble, like arrested, like oh she stole it, or something like that. And I'm just thinking, she wanted to do this without Cal's help, and he had given her that necklace. And I think by her taking that money, if she did sell that necklace, would be like she was taking Cal's money and his help to get a. Um, make her way and everything. It's like, no, she wanted to do it on her own. And she did. So he, he you just see Brock's eyes are just, like, huge. And he's like, can I at least hold it? And she puts it in his palm for a couple seconds. And it, she just flings it over her shoulder into the water. And Lois just like, no! And he runs to the railing. It's like, dude, it's gone. So like, it needs to be with the Titanic. You can't tell me that they're not going to try to come and get that. I bet anything they would be like, all right, let's mark the spot where she threw it, and we'll come back here and we'll search for it. And, and Rose kind of calls him love it out for, like, you're, like, just... Because he's, like, a, what's called, like, a treasure hunter. He's got that same power-hungry money-hungry look in his eyes. And it's almost like her telling the story and eventually, you know, when he's talking to Lizzie about how I never got it until your mother, you know, told me her experience. And it's almost like this whole, no, 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 uh, like, let me hold the diamonds and this and that. It's almost like it kind of 
lost its effect. Whatever. But anyway. And of course, Lou's like, that really sucks, lady. I like how he, like, just tosses her hand like, nah. You know, she don't give a shit. <laughs> well, at least Brock could say that he got to hold the necklace for a hot second. And they're both gonna laugh hysterically like it's the funniest thing in the world. That really sucks, lady! Care? <laughs> 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 okay, seriously, it's not that funny. Why are we all laughing? So Brock asks Lizzie if she'd like to dance. And of course before that they're just laughing hysterically. Like, <laughs> and we see Rose, uh, elderly Rose, of course, looking up, seeing that shooting star. Remember how Jack said, whenever you see a shooting star, it's a soul going up to heaven. And then, of course, we see Rose in her bed, an old lady warm in her bed. And just the pictures of her, her life. I think it was pretty much just the ending plays out just as it did in the movie. Alright, so we went through the deleted scenes. I hope you enjoyed my commentary on them. And... I hope you enjoyed this whole review, and that about does it. So again, happy birthday to Nicole. I hope you have a good day. If you guys want to send an email to the podcast, I'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on the review, or any of the reviews that I've done for any of the movies, shows that I've covered. Send an email to lbomwonderyearspodcast at gmail.com. Bye-bye.